You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, sir. Hi, how you doing? Oh, fucking tired. Yeah? Yeah, man. I mean, basically between Tuesday night. Was it Tuesday? No, Monday. It's Tuesday. It must be Belgium. Sunday. God, fucking days. Jesus, I can't even remember what fucking day it is. Is it Wednesday? It's Wednesday. Shit. What what day did we do blue collar? Monday? Uh Sunday night. Sunday night. Okay. So basically, um I turned that around pretty quick and then um yesterday we recorded all the wraparounds for uh detours and I did all that. I know it's it's probably getting to a point for you and, and, and maybe it's just it's getting to a point for me, so therefore I'm projecting of um you just going Well this is the projection but Well you just going, Man, I really am tired of fucking listening to you bitch. It really is getting fucking old. I'm just not I'm not fucking hip to this. It's like the last six months have just been nothing but a bitch fest and it's kinda up and down, up and down and, and even when you should be happy like right now you're still a miserable fuck. So um I'm doing my best. Yeah. Let's go ahead. All right. Welcome to a special episode of the Projection Booth. We call this Ego Fest. Ego. This is the third one. This is the thing that I love about our show, you know, because there are other shows that will be will remain nameless out there that basically the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, half hour, 16 hours of however long the show is, is just two guys talking. Hey, man, how you been? Oh, I'm doing all right. I went and had a sub over here and I met up with so-and-so and then I went to the comic shop and oh, I'm not digging that comic book, but whatever I bought it anyway. And then we went and saw this movie and then da, 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 and then finally they talk about the movie. See, we don't mess around in the projection, but we get right to the point so that's why only like once a year we do this extravagant thing called ego fest where all we do is talk about ourselves the groundhog has seen his shadow so it is time for us to reveal the innermost secrets of the projection booth and to sing our own praises (laughs) aren't you lucky that's the most expensive machine in the whole hospital it costs three quarters of a million pounds aren't you lucky Rob, you got big news. Oh, yeah? You have held in your hands a copy of your own book. How does that feel? Oh, man. Uh, well, as as a gentleman who's written a few books over there, uh, Mike, um, I'm sure you know what this is like. I mean, you spend a lot of time on these things, usually in the dark, caffeinated, um, kind of uh, sequestered, you know, like you're picking the new pope or something. or And... Um, Eventually, you come out, and as you said, the the groundhog sees the shadow, and um, they handed this thing to me about a month ago, and it was the proof that the uh, the printer used to, you know, make sure that they were all happy with it. It was, uh, you know, I don't have kids. I'm never going to have kids. I know this is a fact. So um, they handed the thing to me, and it was like holding my kid. I mean, it's like three pounds. It's um, twelve by ten. You know, uh, thing, uh, full color, and I was grinning ear to ear. I mean, I it was like Christmas, um, but it was a Christmas that I've been like waiting for for four years. It was a Christmas that people who were in the book 
kept saying to me, when's that book going to get done? It's like, when it's done. You know, I had that uh, little Paul Masson thing going on there, like old Orson tells us, you know, not the drunk version, but the regular one. Ah, the French. We'll serve no book before it's time. But the whole thing with the, the Orbit Magazine anthology is great. It arrived actually all, well, the remaining 2,500 copies into the warehouse over at Wayne State University Press in Detroit last week. I started to send them out, and good people, um, many listeners of the projection booth, when we did the Patronicity fundraiser last fall, uh, gave some money and got some cool stuff, including you, Mr. Mike, who are getting a copy of the book, and I can't wait to hand it to you personally. It's just been really cool so far. I mean, the, the, the early notices, the early reviews have been really good. The attention's been really nice. And what's really fun for me is putting it in front of people who were part of this, you know, people who were at the magazines, who wrote the stuff, who created it, people who were featured in the magazines, and even uh, the main guy himself, Jerry Vile. Jerry was the first one to get a copy. When I handed it to him, he was like, wow, he's like, I didn't expect it to be this heavy and this nice. And and uh, he was kind of blown away too. So so it's it, it's really been impressive to me to see how it's all come together, and I know how sort of supremely lucky I am. Uh, the universe kind of tumbled in my direction on this one, and I don't, you know, you know I want to believe that all my future endeavors are going to be this easy, although it was four years of hard work, but I know that that's probably not going to be the case. I'm probably going to have to go to the mat, and, you know, and things are going to be harder from here on in. You know, it's it, it's it's just been a great ride so far, and the book isn't even out yet. It comes out September 1st, which if uh, this comes out uh, the day before, then uh, it should be available to you the next day at uh, if you're in the Detroit area, some fine bookstores. And uh, also you can get it on Amazon. You can get it through my publisher, Wayne State University Press. You know, it's just, uh, it's just been a great ride so far. So where's the best place for people to get it? Like, does anything benefit you more or benefit Wayne State University Press more than something else? Like, I imagine that Amazon takes a big effing cut out of stuff. Well, you know, the thing is, is that in my contract, basically my percentages are all the same. It doesn't really matter where you buy it. The The only way that it really helps me is I have a certain number of books that I've bought from the press for events that I'm doing around town. And there's a couple of events that that I'm doing around town that I have to bring the books because that venue doesn't want to buy them, which I can understand. That's not their thing. You know, it's an art gallery. It's a movie theater. They, they're not in the business of buying books. So when you buy those books from me at the location, that actually does well for me because it helps me to pay back the cost on the books. But outside of that, it's, you know, I, it, it's basically wherever you want to buy it. Um, really the only thing that kind of matters is not necessarily where you buy it, but how many are bought because of how my contract is, it's all based on the sales numbers. So if I hit, if I sell the whole run, which I'd love to do, then, um, my percentage in terms of what I get from the publisher is, is more in terms of what they pay me. And, um, that's really, it's, it's, it's a numbers game in that way. 
So, so tell me about some of these events that you have going on. Where are you going to be bringing these books and who's going to be carrying it in the area? Because regardless, we should always go to our independent booksellers, independent stores to buy some whatever we want to buy. We shouldn't go to the big warehouse type stuff right. when it comes to this. But where are you going to be bringing those books? Tell me about some of these events. Well, I mean, for me, the whole idea of doing sort of this book tour was that you know, when I was still living in Colorado, I had planned this over about a two-week period. I was going to come home for about 10 days, and I was going to do a whole bunch of book stuff during that time. So I, I had lined all this stuff up earlier in the year, and the concept for me was to line it up with people who I'm friends with. And, uh, to, you know, even if you come there and maybe you've already gotten the book or maybe you decide not even to buy the book, uh, maybe I've introduced you to some really cool places. And I'm lucky because I have, you know really cool friends who own really cool stuff. So the, the tour kind of soft starts on uh, Saturday, September 5th at Interstate Gallery in Eastern Market in Detroit. And that's uh, the great Glenn Barr who did the cover for my book. Uh, Glenn's an artist in town and he has uh, curated a show called Lyric. And what Lyric is, is he gives uh, artists that he likes, internationally known artists, guys from Detroit, all kinds of people, uh, basically a 12 by 12 space, sort of like a record sleeve. And the idea is that you can create whatever you want in a 12 by 12 space, just be as creative as you want. And it can be music related in some way. So that's what the Lyric Show is. This is the third one he's done. He does it about every two years. So for the closing of the Lyric Show on September 5th, we're going to do a thing there from uh, 3 to 5 in the afternoon. And then really in earnest, the actual like hard book sell, hard book launch uh, of, of events starts on September 10th. So Thursday, September 10th at BookBeat in the evening in Oak Park. BookBeat, great independent bookstore in Oak Park. You should go there. It's uh, great people to run it. And then Saturday the 12th in the afternoon at Green Brain Comics in Dearborn. Other friends of mine who have a great comic shop in Dearborn. Um, Sunday, September 13th in the afternoon at Paperback Writer Books, Weirdsville Records up in Mount Clemens, which uh, got to rep the east side because that's where I grew up, up in the uh, up near Mount Clemens. Then Monday the 14th is kind of cool if you're a... Um, if you're a film person, uh, oh. which obviously listen in Projection Booth, on Monday, September 14th at 7 p.m. at Cinema Detroit, there will be a book signing, but it'll also be a film screening and Q&A. And this is related to Jerry Peterson, also known as Jerry Vile, who is the guy who was the publisher on all three magazines that are covered in the book, which is White Noise, this late 70s Detroit punk rock magazine that was sort of Detroit's version of L.A. Slash or punk from New York. Fun magazine, which was 86 to 90, which is um, predates The Onion by two years. And from my research, could be the first free humor magazine in America. And then the bigger section because it ran nine years is orbit which is what i grew up reading in high school which was around 90 to 99 and jerry was the publisher on all three of these magazines but before he did fun but right after white noise and when he was still sort of in the punk rock scene he was in a film with susan sarandon and christopher walken called who am i this time and it's um, probably one of the lesser known of the jonathan demi films who am i this time who is he? Why, the deer hunter's Christopher Walken, of course. Teamed up with Susan Sarandon for heart-tugging fun in Who Am I This Time? A clever little Kurt Vonnegut story about love among the awkward. 
an introverted clerk in a hardware store. She's the most insecure worker at the local phone company, and neither one can communicate with the other till they both begin to play romantic roles on stage in amateur theatricals in front of everybody in town. Where does the play acting end and real life love begin? Somewhere between Shakespeare and Tennessee Williams. Who are we this time? <laughs> From Jonathan Demme, director of Melvin and Howard, Who Am I This Time? A movie for anyone who ever dreamed of being someone else, if only for one perfect performance. This was made in 1982 for American Playhouse on PBS. And it's a one-hour film, and we talked a little bit about it on um, our episode with Keith Gordon for Mother Night when we were talking about adaptations of Kurt Vonnegut stories, Kurt Vonnegut novels. And it uh, has a great pedigree. I mean, you have Jonathan Demme, uh, early film from him, and also, uh, like I said, Susan Sarandon, Christopher Walken. Uh, Bob Ridgely is in it, who you may not know uh, by name, but you might know by face. He was the colonel in uh, Boogie Nights. And uh, Jerry Vile, like I said, and the score for the for the film was uh, done by John Cale of uh, obviously Velvet Underground. But you know, John Cale's been John Cale longer than he was in the Velvet Underground. So, um, so that'll be seven o'clock on Monday, September fourteenth at Cinema Detroit. We're going to screen the film. Jerry's going to be down there with me signing books, and we're going to do a little Q and A about um, who am I this time and sort of his memories of being in the film, if he has any memories. Uh, sometimes he says that he doesn't remember certain things uh, about that, but he's got, he's got a couple of funny stories. Um, and then Saturday, September 19th, is at Detroit Comics in Ferndale in the afternoon. Uh, another great comic book shop. That's the place that I go to for a local uh, graphic novel club each month. Really great people over there. And then after that, we go uh, what we call outstate from Detroit. So I'll be in Lansing on Wednesday, September 23rd in the evening. This is going to be kind of cool. It's going to be a punk rock publishing roundtable. It'll be uh, myself talking about uh, the Orbit Magazine anthology, Tesco V of the Meat Men, but also Tesco V started Touch and Go, the hardcore fanzine back in the late 70s and up to the mid-80s. And he has a book that's the complete touch-and-go fanzine, which is a great book if you haven't had a chance to look at that, which was the precursor for the touch-and-go record label, which is now based in Chicago and has been around for over 25 years. And then uh, the other guy that's also on the panel is Steve Miller. Uh, no, not that Steve Miller. Like, no, not that Mike White. Um, and Steve Miller has a great book out called Detroit Rock City. And it's a um, sort of please kill me oral history type story about uh, rock and roll in, as I think the cover says, uh, the, um, the world's loudest city. And goes basically from just before the founding of the Grandy scene through the Grandy scene, MC5, the Stooges, Alice Cooper, Ted Nugent, all that stuff. Um, a little bit on the punk rock stuff, which is where we um, kind of meet up between our two books. And then also into things like The White Stripes. And uh, I think there's even uh, Kid Rock and ICP in there, just like there's in my books. So there's a broad range of stuff in there. 
in uh, Detroit Rock City. So the three of us will be on the panel, Steve Miller, Tesco V, and myself, and we'll be uh, chatting about punk rock and punk rock in Michigan and all of that stuff and uh, signing your books over at Schuler Books in Lansing on September 23rd. Friday, October 16th is when I go back to Grand Rapids. I lived out there for two and a half years, and Grand Rapids is a great city. And I'll be doing a signing at Schuler Books from uh, 7 to 9 on Friday, October 16th. So that'll be a lot of fun. And as for out of the state of Michigan, I'm currently working on trying to line up uh, at least one, maybe two L.A. signings in November. Uh, We don't know exactly where and when yet. Uh, I've been talking to one place, and they seem to want to do it, but they're trying to do kind of the same thing that I'm doing in Lansing with a panel. And they're trying to figure out the schedules of the other people on the panel. Also in November, you're going to want to keep your uh, your ears and your eyes peeled um, for a possibility of a big, well, we are going to have a party um, for the book. Uh, we, we decided not to have a book launch party in September, but more closer to uh, the Thanksgiving holiday. And uh, the location on that is going to be uh, revealed soon and it's going to be super cool and uh, when I find out, you'll find out and hopefully if you're in the Detroit area or nearby, maybe you can uh, come on out it'll be a lot of fun. You've got all these events I know you have Facebook events set up, just right. like how we have Facebook set up, Facebook events set up all the time for our shows right. if folks aren't your personal friend on Facebook, mm-hmm. where can they go? Well, if you want to follow the book, the name of the book on Facebook is the Orbit Magazine Anthology. Just type that into the search. Or I think it's uh, facebook.com forward slash Orbit Book Detroit. I also have a blog where you can find me writing about random thoughts about the book. And also there's a thing with a review tab and, you know, you can find out more about it and the events and that's at orbitbookdetroit.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at orbitbook. And recently it was kind of cool. Um, our good friends over at uh, BBNBC, which is, uh, if you're not hip to the lingo, badasses, boobs, and body counts, uh, did Detroit 9000 and Dolomite with uh, you, sir. And as part of it, I was supposed to be on the Detroit 9000 episode, but I had a, um, uh, I guess, a publicity commitment, which I'll explain in a minute. And Mike was like, I really, I really want you on the show. And I said, all right, we can do that. But I've got to like record it now. And, and all this, I can't really do like how you traditionally do the show because of when you had it planned, Mike and Iris record on a certain night and I was going to be busy. And um, he gave me a nice half hour on the show. So Detroit 9000 episode, it was kind of fun. We talked about Detroit 9000, we talked about Detroit and film a little bit, and we talked about Orbit and the Orbit book and why film people like us might be interested also in the Orbit book. If you have no interest in sort of Detroit, which I find completely, uh, um, how could you not? It's the world's most fascinating city and exciting city, as I say. The, uh, the the big connection, obviously, when we talk about Orbit and the Orbit book to film is the great reviews that are in there related to um, Chris Gore, his early stuff right when he was starting out with Film Threat, and then also Paul Zimmerman, who started off at Orbit and also was a partner with uh, Jerry on White Noise and also worked at Fun as well, and he went on to be editor of Film Threat because him and Gore worked together at Thomas Video. So once again, uh, Revenge of the Video Store Nerds. And because of Gore and because of Zimmerman and because of Orbit, giving Mr. Tarantino his first 
cover for his first film, Reservoir Dogs, Quentin Tarantino wears a Orbit t-shirt in Pulp Fiction. And you can read all of that early writing that Paul did about Reservoir Dogs and how it really knocked him on his ass when he saw it at Toronto in 1992 in the book and really get a flavor as to what that was all about. Hey, let's take a little break here. I'm going to read a letter from Eric Peterson. What are your favorite films discovered via the Projection Booth episodes? I had to say American Hippie in Israel. That's one that, you know, God, I can't believe it was three years ago. Really kind of knocked me in my ass. I really enjoy that. And I bought the Grindhouse uh, Blu-ray, and I just thought it was a great film. I thought it was very enjoyable. The other one that I really liked, and this was thanks to you, and I was some familiarity with his work through uh, War Game, was uh, Punishment Park. Peter Watkins, Punishment Park. I that. That's one of the first ones we did together. Yeah. I mean, that one still sticks with me. It's one of those ones that, you know, the, the more I look around the world, the more I go, Ugh, man, woof. Going through the list here, I, I think Blast of Silence was great. Really, really enjoyed that. I mean, if you haven't listened to the Blast of Silence episode and you haven't seen Blast of Silence yet, you really just need to listen to Blast of Silence just to hear Alan Barron get on you on the use of the word folks. We're rolling. This is the good one. Take five. Most, most folks, most, most folks, uh, most, most, most folks. Right, once again. Uh, most, most folks have heard about. All right, that's good. Good, very nice. That's why folks call it finger. That's why folks call it finger. Sounds good. That's why folks call it, call it finger licking good. That's right. That's that's why that's why folks call it thing. That's why folks call it finger licking good. That's why that's why folks call it finger licking good. Right, I'm not getting anywhere with this damn thing. Okay, fine. Like that is like if we're gonna do a classic sort of like sections of interviews with people, like if like if we were ever gonna like sit down and go, okay, what are like the greatest hits of the interviews? Just the whole thing where he tries to correct you on the use of folks. Oh, is yeah. it's it's funny and painful all at the same time. Well, I'm going to thank you for one. The discreet charm of the bourgeoisie was a lot of fun. I don't know if I would have watched that had we not had to do it for the show. Uh-huh. It was one of those that had been hanging around. I think I bought it on VHS when a video store was going out of business, and it was unwatched for years and years. So. Mm-hmm. I I thank you for that one. It was good to have that exposure because I had only seen just a limited amount of Bonewell films before that. So it was really good to be able to see where you're coming from with that, that kind of later period, because I was only really familiar with, you know, Unchen Andalou, that kind of stuff. So that was a good one. I also have to say executive action was pretty awesome. Yeah. That really blew my socks off. And then Satyricon. I don't even remember how we got around to Satyricon. Was that that was like part of the Roman month, right? You you picked that one out. Yeah, which I had never really seen. I think I'd seen a part of it, but it was just a whole idea of let's just do a whole month on Roman films. And I knew I didn't want to do like sword and sandal stuff. So it was like, okay, what uh stuff do we have? Because the I, I think it was the transition piece out of Roman month, wasn't it? Titus. So so that's that's where we get into the, the Shakespeare stuff. Satyricon is one of those films where it's I don't think there is sort of a halfway. 
I think you either really like it or you don't. And and Fellini's kind of like that. I think Bunuel's kind of like that. I mean, when when I look at the list, also I have to say I got to thank you and and Andrew. And it's been just it's just been just dividends for me in terms of all the stuff that I've learned about Wang Wang. I mean, I don't think I ever would have watched For Your Height Only. I don't even think I would have known what For Your Height Only is. I don't think I would have known who Wang Wang is. To me, Filipino film always would have been just, you know, the, um, the old women in prison films, which, you know, if I, I, I want the voice. I, I think I talked about this on that episode. It's like I want the voice of the guy who was doing the, the trailer voiceovers for Corman in the 70s. Women in cages, you know, all of this, like, you know, over, overdone, you know, stuff. Women in cages, passions, you know, bound up and all this in the jungles, you know, and all this. I mean, this guy just has this great voice. But uh, that's all I would have known, a Filipino film. So for your height only, I got to give uh, my hats off to you guys. And, you know, if you haven't seen Search for Wang Wang, I mean, get it. It's out there now. It is one of the best documentaries you're going to watch. You know, it's just it's up there. Uh, I, I think the other the other one that you reintroduced me to, which um, wasn't on that episode, I was under the uh, the former regime, is Head. You really like between that episode and then getting the BBS box set from Criterion and watching Head, like actually sitting down and watching Head. I have gained an appreciation of the monkeys in a way that I don't think I would have. If uh, if it wasn't on the show, so I, I I thank you for that as well. I think one of the most fun episodes that we did, which I think I want to say that you were the one that brought this to the fore because of our interview with Sharon Mitchell, and you were like, we need to talk, you know, we need to do two Sharon Mitchell films because we have her for one, so we have her for Smoker. Now let's talk to her about another film. And that being Water Power. Water Power was one of the most fun episodes. That's funny. Because to me, like, Water Power is... There's so many wrong things with that film. Like, uh, and, and what I mean by that is... I mean, I... I, I, and I think we talked about it on the episode. Because I, I think it's bound up in these ideas of... You can't do that on a film. Like, it's so, like... It has... Like, like in much the same way that I like blood-sucking freaks. Like, it, it's offensive to people. And why is it offensive to people? Well, because it has sexuality in it, and then it has rape. You know, it's not rape-rape, but it's like rape on film. And mm-hmm. that's, very, that's very hard, I think, for us to kind of wrap our heads around, you know, and be like... Like, like we talked about on the show, it's like, why is Taxi Driver okay? But if you do like Taxi Driver, but with like sex, then it becomes like, oh, it's like nuclear material. Like, stay away from it. It's radioactive. Like I said, I'm just going alphabetical down the list here. And I have to say Simon is one of them. That's one that I just feel is really underappreciated. I think that what Alan Arkin does in that film is incredible. I mean, you can really see his... His improv chops, you can really see all of that training that he had from Second City. And, and I, I think it's a fun little film. I mean, we, you know, when we talk about something like uh, Putney Swope or Watermelon Man or, you know, some of the stuff that I really like that it's definitely stuck in its era. I think that in a way, Simon's kind of stuck in its era because it's talking about certain points from the, the 70s in a particular way. But um, 
I, I still think it's quite good. And I, I think it's underappreciated. I don't think people get a chance to to really engage with it that much. It's one of those films that I think you either know it or you don't. Well, it did just play on TCM a few weeks ago. As we're recording this, they're doing their, I can't even remember, the Month of Stars or whatever it is. And every day is dedicated to a different person. And one day was Alan Arkin Day. And Simon was amongst those films, so that gave me a little bit of hope when it comes to hopefully people are rediscovering Simon. But I will say, uh, I completely agree with you that it is underappreciated. It's one of those films, I want to say, came out on the Warner Brothers, like, burn on demand kind of thing. So it doesn't even have, like, for me, a proper release, proper in quotes. And even our episode really didn't get that many numbers to it, which is really a shame because I really thought that that interview with Marshall Brickman was fantastic, talking about those early days for him, talking about how Marshall Brickman has a connection to dueling banjos was one of my favorite things. And so I really, (laughs) if people just listen to the episode just for the interview, I really think that you'll enjoy that. So let's go back to Eric's questions here. Can we expect more theme months like the Noir November last year? I don't see why not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we do different things, you know? I mean, we're going to do another Noir November coming up here in November. Imagine that. I almost thought that January was going to shape up to be movies that people generally don't consider to be that good, like we were hitting Showgirls and The Last Dragon and a couple others in there. And then the way things worked out, I had to move one movie out of that month and move in Salvador because we're going to be talking to Matt Seats about his new book. And I'm really hoping like how we can get maybe Stone for that, maybe Woods. Maybe if I start talking about how he just uses cocaine like crazy on Twitter, he'll pay attention to me. But... <laughs> So far, nothing. Um, You know, people don't like to be called out for that, sadly. So, yeah, we can definitely have more theme months. Um, Rob came up with Roman August. Right. And he came up with Shakespeare September. Noir November, I think, might have been mine because of uh, the Noir Fest. But you are programming Noir November this year. And we are actually doing four horror films in October, a shocktober, if you will. Yeah, it's uh, we're we're doing something a little different there. I mean, my my idea this year with uh, Noir November was to uh, do Noir with a foreign accent. So we're going to do foreign film that is Noir. So as a matter of fact, I got to start figuring out who I'm going to get as guests on those things because I've got a I, I've got a feeling that they're mostly going to be uh, authors of books as opposed to uh, directors and actors because I think most of the people who I'd like to talk to are dead or uh, don't speak English. So um, I'm going to try and see who I can get for those. But I'm I'm really excited about that because um, I really want to do this comparison piece with you with um, uh, Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, and Less Samurai, the Melville film, and uh, Elevator of the Gallows is just an amazing film. And especially, I mean, even if, even if you don't like the film, Elevator to the Gallows, which I, I don't think you're going to have that problem, the jazz score, the improv jazz score from Miles Davis is just legendary. It's just a, an amazing piece. So uh, we're going to do some great stuff there. 
and um, you know more theme months as they come it's for us you know it it, it kind of the, the the reason why we do them the reason why we don't do them is that i often look at the shows as their own individual thing, meaning that uh, much the way that, and, and I know you're a big fan of the book series, sort of the 33 and a third book series, Mike. Mm-hmm. I kind of look at what we do as kind of like that. Like each one is sort of its own self-contained unit about that one album or, you know, however we perceive that to be. And we we don't really tie them together all that much, you know. Uh, that's why I, I try to stay away from, and we've tried to stay away from, and this is the reason why we're doing Ego Fest. We, we try to stay away from talking about what we're doing now and sort of our lives and all the things that make it really dated. Because I like the idea of we create an episode, it's really good, it says everything that we really need to say about it at that time, and then it can stand for a while. It's like someone wrote a book, and you know it'll be good for three years, four years, however often um whenever you pick it up as opposed to it being much more ephemeral which to me i think is the one beautiful value that we have with uh podcasts over radio and as a you know 14 year veteran of radio radio can be very ephemeral it's all about what's happening now and what podcasts can allow you to do is to create something that it doesn't really matter when you hear it it's just sort of a it's going to be as good now as it'll be as good for you in five years. At least we can hope. That's what I try to do. I mean, if I, we, we've talked about going back and doing updates on some of the shows, like actually doing a whole new episode or doing an addendum. Um, one that I would like to do, to be honest, would be to redo in part uh, my first episode that I was on, which was Blood Sucking Freaks, because there's a new Blu-ray. It's not new. It's been out over a year now of... Bloodsucking Freaks, which includes additional material and sort of changes some of the story a little bit. It's a little bit different. And um, I remember having a Twitter conversation with Eli Roth, who's a big fan of that film, and was trying to see if I could convince him to come on and talk about it with us. So, I don't know. We'll see. But there's kind of part of me that feels like, you know, it's like... um, uh, stories of the the Buddhist monks who do, you know, do the sand paintings. You know, they get the nice, colorful sand and they make the beautiful image on the floor or the table or whatever they're working on. And it takes them like a month, and they just sweep it up and throw it in the throw it in the river. It's just the idea of what you learn in the process of doing it, and then you just create it and you're done, and you move on to the next thing. So I don't I don't necessarily know if we have all that much interest in going back and rehashing things either. Ain't going back. Yeah. You got to keep forward. It's like a shark. Otherwise, it dies. Uh, for each of you, this is uh, still coming from Eric Peterson. For each of you, three Holy Grail films, ones that you want to see but have yet to find. You know, I'm going to let you start this one because you probably have a laundry list. And to be honest, I'm more like these are the movies I need to watch as opposed to, man, I really uh, would love to see that. And I can't seem to find a copy. I have no idea if this movie is going to be good or bad or not, but I've been wanting to see a movie called Human, which is like human, but with a dash between the H-U and the man, uh, by Jerome Lapersoise, the guy. He directed a short documentary called Les Marines, I believe. And this was from 1975, and it stars Terrence Stamp as Terrence Stamp. 
And we both know that Terrence Stamp was making some interesting movies in the early part of his career. Still makes interesting films, but he was kind of out there. And as a matter of fact, I was just looking today about you know, thinking about scheduling a Teorama uh, Visitor Q episode for one of these days because I would really like to compare those two films and any of these kind of like man who came to dinner and fuck the entire family kind of movie. So that's one of them to see this movie. Like I said, I've seen posters for it. I've seen write-ups of it. But the movie is just not there. It could be horrible, but I really want to see that one. The next one is a film that I thought was an urban legend for a long time, but I think that this thing is real, and it's probably just locked away in a vault someplace. That is Smokey and the Bandit 3. Smokey is the Bandit. And that was Smokey and the Bandit 3, kind of the movie that we know today, where Burt Reynolds wasn't going to be in the movie. So he makes a cameo appearance at the end, if you remember, and I'm sure you guys do remember how Smoking the Bandit 3 runs. Smoking the Bandit 3, instead of having Burt Reynolds throughout the entire thing, now has Jerry Reed in the main character. But for a little while, it was Jackie Gleason as the Bandit. So he was playing Buford Justice and the Bandit, both at the same time, and I hear it as one of the most surrealistic disasters <laughs> <laughs> that was ever brought to the screen. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like the scene in Female Trouble, where uh, yeah. where Divine plays uh, both Don Davenport and the the guy who rapes her and ends up having the kid Earl. Yeah, so that's that that's just notching up the surrealism there. And I think the third film that I would really want to see is one called The Smut Peddler, which was directed by somebody named Warner Rose back in 1965. It is a uh, sexploitation film, and I know that a couple reels have been found, and they're available via a Something Weird compilation, uh, and I just recently found that out because every once in a while I will post and try to find the whole thing and so far it is still MIA but the preview for the smut peddler is one of the best previews that has ever been put to film but to have this guy who narrates this thing the the literal smut peddler himself it is a thing of glory if you can track down just the trailer for the smut peddler and tell me that wouldn't be a good movie <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like I said, mine is more, I'm at a point where I just need to be able to have more time to watch things. That's the thing that really makes me sad. Um, you know, because uh, I, I think the most profound sadness is going to be the fact that I'm never really going to get to read everything and hear everything and see everything that I want. It's just, there's no way it's going to happen. You know, there's been a lot of talk recently about Jerry Lewis putting uh, The Day the Clown Cried into the library of congress and then you can watch it in 10 years which i'm sure he believes he'll be dead by then so you won't have to hear whatever um i, I just want to see that that's the only one i can think of off the top of my head um because i just want to see what the big deal is i'm sure that like once it's released in some manner it won't be it won't be that big deal but to me it's just it's just fascinating um that he's 
you know, withholding it because of that. So it's, um, you know, I guess we'll find out in 10 years. So that's, that's the only other thing. The, the, the one that I wish people could get the chance to see, which we had a chance to see, is uh, and we did on the show is nothing lasts forever. I think nothing lasts forever is great. Uh, that really oh, makes yeah. me sad. Um, and I, I think that kind of transitions me at least to the second question that that Eric has here is three films that you think deserve a Blu-ray or DVD release. I would say nothing lasts forever. I think they should make a deal with Criterion. There's so much great stories and the idea also that they could have as extras all those Tom Schiller shorts from SNL and put all that stuff on there and you know i i think that would be great you know really give it up what it deserves and then the other two i think are the same ones that i brought up before on it could have been on another show or may have been another ego fest where it was what do you think deserves a blu-ray or a dvd release and i'm just gonna pound the desk for pound i mean i, I talk about it constantly I'm a really bad VHS dub that I haven't watched in probably eight years because I don't have a VCR anymore. But um, but that deserves to be cleaned up, just like all the other Bob Downey stuff that was released by Criterion on the Eclipse label about a year, year and a half ago. And that should be put out. And then the other one is since Fantoma, I think, has gone out of business. If not, they're not really doing a whole hell of a lot. Just Coffin Joe films. All of them. Um, I remember having a conversation with I think it was Don May or Jerry, his uh, Jerry Chandler, his partner over at Synapse, about uh, the Coffin Joe stuff. And sadly, I, th- I think that they had been offered it, or they had looked at the materials, and they, for them, they said it was just in too bad a shape. They didn't feel that they they felt that you would have to do like a full full on restoration of the materials because Brazil didn't take care of their films. And therefore, I think they've passed on any opportunity to put out uh, the Jose Magic Marin's material in the United States, at least Synapse, who I think would have done an amazing job with it. And that just kind of breaks my heart because the, the Coffin Joe films are great, but there's a lot of stuff that he did that is um, not him as Coffin Joe, but as, you know, in other ways. I mean, there's... Um, there's about a half dozen other movies that I've seen that something weird put out on VHS years ago. And ever since Thomas video went out of business, I've never been able to see him again. So I would love the ability to sit down and, and rewatch all of that stuff because I, I think singularly as a, as a talent, I think, uh, Majika Marins is just a, an amazing filmmaker and doesn't really get, uh, all the credit he really deserves for doing something that's that sort of subversive in that, in that environment under a military dictatorship. I think for me, the one movie that I'm always going to be singing the praises of, and well, I was almost going to say until it gets a DVD release, but even then afterwards, I'm still going to be singing the praises is crime wave. We did an episode on crime wave early on. I've talked to Jonathan ball about his book on crime wave. I mean, it's just one of those movies that is amazing and just gets better every time I've watched it. And I've probably watched it a hundred and 150 times. I mean, it is so good and people really need to see it. And there's, 
been movement afoot as far as things go, as far as, you know, getting all the rights and everything. Apparently, Echo Bridge Entertainment is just kind of holding everything up, not being responsive to anything. It's been restored. It played at Toronto International Film Festival last year. It toured around some places, and just trying to get those rights freed up has been an impossible thing. Our good buddy Josh Johnson has been really working on this stuff, and hey, you know, that would be fantastic. If I can see that movie hit Blu-ray in my lifetime, I would be very happy. You know, and you're going to throw something at me because, um, yeah. I have not seen it. <laughs> well, it was, it was a PR show. It was pre-Rob. So when this thing hits Blu-ray, maybe that's when we can revisit. So then I'll, I'll force you to watch it. Yeah, which, you know, is fine. I mean, the only thing I know is that there's that image that sometimes you'll put up, and it's the guy in the cowboy hat with sort of the bug eyes thing going on. And that's about all I know. Dr. Jolly. So I've got some good news coming up here pretty soon. By the time this episode drops, it'll just be a few days away from me hitting the road, driving up to Toronto, and going to Fan Expo. Now, I I did Fan Expo two years ago, I think it was, and there was a horror podcast uh, panel, even though we're not necessarily a horror podcast, I was on this panel. Are you sure it wasn't a horrible podcast panel? It might have been. Yeah, just the worst podcasters ever all up on stage in one place. Yeah, Last Chance Lance and Stuart Feedback Andrews were up there, so maybe. But then what leads me to believe that, that it was a horror podcast was that the ladies from the Faculty of Horror were up there as well, and they do a pretty darn good show. Uh, It was a good panel, but it had horrible attendance because it was the last panel on the last day of Fan Expo. Yeah, it's no good. No, there was nobody there. Nobody wanted to stick around to hear a bunch of podcasters jaw on about stuff. But we did get some people in the audience, so we appreciate it. But anyway, this year I'm going back They've talked me into going back, and I will be hosting two Q&A sessions. And I don't think you get two uh, celebrities that were more different. On Friday, September 4th at 5.45 p.m., I will be talking to Orlando Jones, who, of course, I know from Double Take Mm -hmm. with Eddie Griffin. uh, Definitely one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. But but. it has a great – a friend of mine, Mike Thompson, gave me a great idea. As we're watching the movie, at one point he leaned over to me and he said – what if they're actually the same person like Tyler Durden and the narrator? <laughs> and that changed the whole movie for me. You just, you just wrecked Fight Club for everyone, Mike. No, I mean, for me, he's uh, the 7-Up Yours guy. Hey, I'm the guy who makes 7-Up. I also write the advertising. I just came up with a great new slogan. Make 7-Up Yours. Make 7-Up Yours. Thank you. I appreciate it. Make 7-Up Yours, baby. <laughs> <laughs> ah, people just love it. Make 7-Up Yours! Make seven of yours. <laughs> make seven of yours. Same to you. Same to me. You see, it's catching on already. Hey, make seven of yours, man. Are you going to stick them up yours? Are we going global with this baby? And then the other person who I'm going to be hosting a Q&A with is Danny Trejo. Oh, yeah. So that's 11.45 a.m. on Saturday, just prior to noon, September 5th. And, yeah. 
talking to Mr. Trejo and taking questions from the audience. So I will definitely be asking him about his roles in Runaway Train and The Hidden and Bubble Boy. <laughs> you got to get in there on, um, you know, asking him about uh, hanging out with Eddie Bunker, man. Well, yeah, that's you know? where Runaway Train comes See, in. See, I think uh, from the story I heard, they were both in prison together. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I definitely want to hear that. I, I loved Eddie Bunker. I mean, we talked about him a lot on our Straight Time episode yeah. and definitely recommend that folks check that out. But uh, yeah, the, it'll be a lot of fun. I'm hoping, I'm thinking about getting, you know, 23 heart tattoos and then leaning over to him and saying, maybe you can be number 24. September 4th and 5th at the Fan Expo in Toronto. I'll be hosting these two Q&A sessions and I hope that they go well. Do you know if uh, you we may be able to get audio of that and put that up for our, our humble and friendly listeners? I'm hoping okay. so. I'm really hoping so. All right. That's nice. Yeah. Well, you know, Fan Expo is one of those things that I've always wanted to go to. It's not too far away. I mean, Toronto is kind of uh, your two choices when you live in Detroit. You can either go to Toronto or you can go to Chicago. And uh, either one's five hours away. The only thing that's a pain in the ass with going to Toronto these days is um, basically everything since September 11th is a pain in the ass dealing with the border. So um, that, you know, basically strap yourself in for an extra hour trying to get through that. So email Scott Cameron. I've been listening to the site for over a year or so now. I think a shout out to the if this movie initially brought me over. Looking forward to November to see what the noir choices will be. But just wanted to drop a line and thank you guys for all the great shows and all the work you put into them. I'm 53 and have been a movie geek my whole life. So when you do a show like the recent one on Night Moves, it was like being part of a club that gets it. Night Moves wasn't a hit, wasn't popular, but after seeing it on TV around 1977, I would try to catch it whenever it was on, had it on VHS, grabbed it the day it was out on DVD. There's a ton of movies like that that you've covered. Many of them are favorites from Once Upon a Time in the West and The Stuntman to ones I wasn't familiar with, like Last November's Blast of Silence, which immediately became a must-see. I like the eclectic nature of the choices, not just the famous titles, but the ones from 1977 Sorcerer or Miami Blues, which make a movie geek like me smile. Speaking of smile, how about covering Michael Ritchie's smile from 1975? You've already covered his prime cut. Recent podcast on The Rocketeer was another example. Excellent effort. Love the interviews with Joe Polito and Joe Johnston. It's probably a million films that I'd love to see covered, like Big Trouble in Little China or Emperor of the North Pole or The Train and on and on. But anyway, thank you and everyone involved for going deep and sometimes even Conan deep, which is a reference to the seven-hour show, <laughs> to make podcasts about movies go way beyond what others are doing. Take care. Scott Cameron. Thanks, Scott. You know, uh, you know the reason why we do it, and I think the reason why there's this obsessive quality, and I've talked about this on other shows uh, when I've guessed it on there, is that ultimately it all comes from a place of being a fan. You know, we just love movies. And because we love movies so much, that's where it really comes out of it. I mean, I had a really nice conversation, uh, speaking of, and, and you'll hear this conversation coming up uh, early next year when we do pump up the volume, 
and spent about an hour talking to the director and writer of that, Alan Moyle, and about uh, halfway through, he was only supposed to talk to me for about 20 minutes, and his wife was waiting to go to Ikea, and he <laughs> says to me, you know, I'd rather just sit here and talk about movies with you, as opposed to uh, going with my wife to Ikea. And he goes, you want to know why that is? And I'm like, I, I don't have a clue, you don't like Ikea? And he's like, no, no, he's like... Um, you know, you actually know what you're talking about, and you're fun to talk to, and you're you know, you're knowledgeable. When I say you know we're talking about this or we're talking about that idea, you know exactly what where I'm going, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I and I think that's really what the both of us really enjoy about the show because Lord knows this isn't a money making venture. You know, with the the amount of time that we put into these things and the the amount of effort uh, that we do. And just to get the emails, like the email we got from you, Scott, and others talking about how they enjoy the show, it's um, that's really the payment, you know. That that that's a little extra. the The, the payment to me is the ability to talk to someone like Alan Moyle, or you know, and I've I've talked about it before, you know, Robert Downey Sr. or you know, all the great filmmakers and writers and people that we've had on the show, and the ability to talk to them about what they do. Um, that to me is the payment. That's, that's where I feel lucky. That's where I feel blessed in a way because, you know, and just to have an opportunity to ask somebody questions about something that I really enjoy. And I, I remember the same sort of, uh, excitement and joy when, when I was in high school, I had this thing about sort of like standing by the stage door. Like as soon as, as soon as the, the concert was over, we'd go outside and we'd wait. And sometimes you wait an hour, sometimes you wait an hour and a half. But eventually, like the band would come out because they got to go to the bus. And sometimes they would take a few minutes, you know, sign an autograph, get a picture, whatever. And just the ability to kind of have a few minutes to go, hey, you know, I really like this song, or you know, I, you know, I really had a good time with that, or you know, tell me about this, or tell me about that. Just to have that moment is really cool because you get sort of a behind the scenes look, sort of a personal take on it. You get to ask the questions you want to ask, and uh, and I hope in a way, sort of um, by projection, projection booth, oh. that we're asking the questions you want, that we're getting new insights for you that you haven't heard before. I've got good news. That gum you like is going to come back in style. No, I've got good news for Scott. We are doing smile and we announced that just a few weeks ago. I don't know if it was before or after the email, but we are doing smile and that uh, is going to be a pretty good episode. It's not going to drop until get your bong out for 20, 2016. <laughs> But I think it's going to be worth the wait because we are very happy to announce that we have landed what I consider to be a really big interview. And that was Bruce Dern is going to be on that episode. And actually, Bruce talked to me for about 90 minutes. And I think I'm going to cut part of that out and release it early because he talks a lot about working on the hateful eight so i think i'll release that before hateful eight comes out so folks can kind of have that a little bit more in context and then leave the the rest of the smile stuff and a couple of other things that he talked to me about um for that episode we also are going to have nicholas Pryor on that episode he was one of the other main characters in smile the guy's got like 160 credits to his name he's been around since the days of live television he's done a ton of great things and 
I'm hoping there's another couple people that we're going to be able to get for that show. I'm not going to say it and jinx it, but I've been working on one for, I think, a year now. And it's getting pushed and gets pushed and gets pushed. I thought that I had it for next week, but it got pushed out again. And the other one actually got a response from this person's agent. And it sounds like it might be good. So here's hoping that sometime between now and April, we'll land another few more interviews for this episode and and really give Scott a reason to smile. <laughs> you know, the the one thing that I really like about what you did there, sir, is um, not talk about the people that we don't have yet. Because I'm a big, uh, it, it's not a jinx issue for me. It's always been a matter of, I always want to like overperform, you right. know, because if we go ahead and say, hey, we're doing to do this and do this. And, and then it's like the episode comes out and we only got like one person of the six that we talked about, then it seems like we are falling down on the job. And uh, rather people go, wow, that's amazing. Look at all the people they got. Under promise and over deliver. That's what we try to do. And for free. But there are some folks that uh, find what we do uh, very delightful and are more than willing to uh, pony up a couple of dollars every now and then. Yeah, you know, we asked for money a couple months ago, and some folks really came through. I feel guilty asking for money every single week, but it almost seems like we kind of have to, just because we don't have regular listeners. I mean, we've got a core group of people that are listening from week to week to week, but then we do have the one-off kind of folks. So people that will come in for like an Alien 3 episode, and then maybe they don't necessarily come back. So if we don't extend the fuck you, pay me kind of thing for every episode, <laughs> it was sometimes we miss out. But we did have uh, a lot of folks kind of take us up on this whole thing. We explained that, you know, this isn't a money-making business, but it does cost money to do things like host the files to, you know, pay for our Skype calls to Australia, these kind of things to, you know, have our IMDB pro membership where we can look up agents and these kind of things. So all of these various things, I think I should probably start actually like keeping a record of that stuff and then, you know, be able to say, Hey, every year the projection booth costs us this much, you know, things yeah. like Dropbox sharing where we need to have a, a bigger Dropbox because we're, you know, throwing around these files and these wave files get to be huge sometimes, especially with like a seven hour show. So we yeah. need to have these things available to us. So, but I did want to thank the people that stepped up. Um, we had uh, some good payments here from Michael Brooks, uh, from Peco Arneo, from Alvin Akarma. And Alvin, um, I don't think he's – he didn't pay us off. This isn't a payola thing. But we should definitely think about doing his movie one of these days, Lethal Force, which to me is one of the best action movies ever created. And then also Monty Buckles. Gave us some cash, too. And then our good friend, Jonathan Melville. Jonathan Melville, who has a new book out, It's Seeking Perfection, The Unofficial Guide to Tremors. This guy, before we ever actually met Jonathan, and I won't say physically met because we still haven't physically met the guy, but before we even talked about him coming on the show and doing a Tremors episode and, you know, really trying to help promote his book because it is an amazing book that people really need to check out. 
I will say that Jonathan has ponied up and he subscribed via PayPal, which anybody can do. And it's really odd. He gives us $2.20 every month. And I'm not sure why $2.20. I'm thinking maybe that's what a pound converts to or something. But it's pretty awesome to get (laughs) $2.20 like clockwork Every month, Jonathan Melville just giving a little bit towards the projection booth and paying his way for free entertainment. I love it. And, you know, I got to give a shout out to Jonathan Melville because if you haven't listened to the Tremors episode, please do because it's great. And uh, pick up his book. I'm looking forward to getting it myself. The other thing that I got to give him a shout out for, and, and pardon my partisanship here on, uh, on the ethnicity background, but good Scotsman like my mom from Scotland and Jonathan Melville with his monthly donation to the projection booth proves that Scottish people are not cheap. Okay. <laughs> there is a grocery store chain and they used to have one in Detroit called the thrifty Scott. Okay. Jonathan Melville is the generous Scott. So I just want to give him a little shout out and uh, thank uh, my fellow countrymen. You know, I read his book like before we did the Tremors episode. I read what he had at that point, which seemed like a finished book to me. But in the months after we did the Tremors episode, things kind of blew up for him. So he managed to get that Kevin Bacon interview that he thought would never happen. Nice. So now he's got that for the book. So it makes it even better, which I didn't think the book could be better. But it is fantastic. It is everything that you never knew you needed to know about the Tremors franchise, which surprisingly is pretty close to the quote on the back of the book, which is attributed to me. Look at that. See? Whoa! How did that happen? So let's go back to where you were living for a long time, out to Colorado. and We've got an email from Jason in Denver. Jason in Denver. Greetings, Mike and Rob. Well, you asked. Alien and aliens are tied simply because they're so very different. One is horror and impending doom. The other is referring sci-fi action film. Since Aliens is the second R-rated film I saw in theater, 14-year-old me would choose that as my favorite. Nowadays, though, I find myself drawn to Alien more. Both are fantastic films and high replay with high replay value. I saw Alien 3 as a new release, and wasn't thrilled with it. But I didn't hate it. Since I had followed its production history, it prepared me for the final mess, unlike my friend, who declared it a piece of shit as the credits rolled. Alien 4 is odd. The Alien vs. Predator films are garbage, yet I'm compelled to own them for the pleasure I derive from some of the monster scenes and creature design. Prometheus looks great, but Damien Lindelof's changes in the original script make it a maddening endeavor for anyone who paid attention while watching the first Alien film. So a few questions. Do you guys actually get hate mail? If so, any funny ones you can share? Oh, you know, this is just a joke um, to a certain extent where um, I, I just know that there are certain hot button topics. Like, for example... Um, and, and I haven't read all the emails yet, as you can tell, because I'm kind of cold reading these things and I'm stumbling. I was willing to bet that after we did star Wars, that I was going to get hate mail, like, because I know that there are certain things that have huge fandoms and 
people get uh, upset. To me, the funniest piece of hate mail, and it wasn't even really hate mail, it was hate comment, is actually on the first episode I was on. And I'm just going to paraphrase because I don't have it up in front of me. If you go to the Blood Sucking Freaks episode on projection-booth.com, just go to the past episodes and go to Blood Sucking Freaks, someone said that they hated that episode because it sounded like a feminist socialist lecture by a college professor or something like that. And I just thought it was hilarious. They're like, I wanted to hear you talk about an exploitation film, not some feminist socialist lecture. So I thought that was kind of funny. Do you remember any other uh, funny hate mails? I The only one that I remember was this constant back and forth between some like conspiracy theory guy and huh. him like ranting about how awful James Randi is on the, uh, once again, hate commenting on Projection Dash Booth on the um, An Honest Liar episode. Well, we did get that recent one. Which, what movie was it for? You awarded them the commenter of the, the month award or something. It was... Uh, Where'd you get that uh, two-by-four pulled out of your ass or something like yeah. that? Yeah. Stick out of your ass. Yeah. I think that may have been... I think it may have been Alien 3. Okay. I think it may have been Alien 3 comment. It was geared towards you. They were, like, upset with you. I thought they were going to hit me with the bat, but they hit you with it instead. We got some great comments through a third-party source that were just amazing. There's a website out there called avpgalaxy.net, and the fine people over there posted our Alien 3 episode, keeping with the alien theme of this email, I, I suppose. But there are – we never – like, we very rarely get comments over on projection-boot.com. It is the rare – time that we get comments on there other than like the weird spam comments where it's like this is good post here is link to my site <laughs> like some of those weird things <laughs> but we got like 70 some comments over at avpgalaxy.net and i just pulled up the site just to see if there were more and there were more than uh, last time that i looked so um, I'll just read one of those, and uh, it's pretty good. Listen the first 20 minutes. So there we go. <laughs> Is that one of those weird spam posts? Because it doesn't Listen know English? the first 20 minutes. Can't get through the cynicism and stupid blind hate those guys got for this masterpiece of movie. And cynicism, by the way, is C-I-N-I-S-M. So at least I got the C right. At least it wasn't with an S. Seems like they don't really understand the franchise at all. Like in the moment, they all agree the prisoners should, quote, act more like bad guys. I mean, WTF. First off, they're a small group isolated by many years, so they found a religion to fill their empty lives. Besides beside that they stay on that planet where all the rest just go to a new prison. So, yeah, apparently they couldn't even make it past the first 20 minutes of the episode. But, you know, they felt very necessary to weigh in. So it's these are hilarious. These are some amazing comments. I really have to uh, recommend checking that out. And apparently we did not do uh, a very good job on our Alien 3 episode, at least according to the fine folks over here. Well, you know, it's just what happens you know yeah. i mean um 
and to be honest, I I have no problem with hate mail. I mean, that no. means at least people are paying attention, and that's all really I ask for. Yeah, and we don't generally tend to get too much hate mail because it takes effort to for people to actually sit down and write a hate letter to us. Yeah, I mean, it's um, and it was this old thing they had done research into uh, Howard Stern and I think maybe even Rush Limbaugh, and they found people that hated them actually listened longer than those who'd liked them. So um, I, I don't know what that says. I, I think that's part of the mentality of people who sit there and like hammer each other on Facebook or Twitter all day. I don't have time for that. I'm too busy. Well, I will say that I've listened to a lot of the Wolfpack podcasts. Yeah. See? Yeah. <laughs> and I've probably sent more people over to their site. Yeah, they see, ever gotten otherwise. You're you just a masochist. You're just a masochist. I am. Like, like I had a friend of mine who who used to create a a, a magazine years ago, and he, he said to me, he goes, "Look, he goes, part of the reason why I gave it up is that when you spend that much time researching someone you hate, you may as well just do a fanzine." He goes, "Because you know more about them than anyone else does." So it's like I'm tired of you know spending my time hating on things. I'm just gonna go do something positive. So the uh, the other question that we have here from our good man Denver, he says, curious if Mike has taken the HDTV and Blu-ray plunge. I do recall him saying that he wasn't interested in doing so. Um, besides the original Untouched Star Wars, what titles would move him to get onto a Blu-ray player? So I have owned a Blu-ray player for probably a year and a half now. But the TV that I have is so old that it can't connect to the blu-ray player so my mom recently upgraded her television set and had her old tv which was an hd tv that we got her for christmas probably four years ago i think that sounds right maybe five and she gave that back to me rather than selling it she gave back the television so now i have an hd tv I haven't hooked it up yet, though. <laughs> it's been sitting in my bedroom for probably six months. So eventually, I will hook up this new TV, and that will allow me to hook up the Blu-ray player. So, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Is now I'm in the opposite uh, camp. Really? Yeah. Because when I left Colorado, I sold basically everything. And now I don't have an HDTV, but I still have my Blu-ray player. I did keep that. So um, now I'm just watching everything on my computer right now because I have no other way to do it. It's it's not a laptop or anything. It's like a big iMac that I've had for about four years. But um, that's basically the only way I can watch movies right now. And, uh, you know, eventually I'll get a TV again, but I'm not... You know, I, I got other things I got to take care of first. So as long as I can still watch on the... Uh, on the iMac here, I'm I'm good to go. Yeah. So as far as what would uh, what titles would move me to get a Blu-ray player, yeah, those titles have already come out. There's a bunch of things that I have sitting upstairs on the television cabinet that are all Blu-ray. Things like Rock and Roll High School, things like um, The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened. There's a bunch of stuff up there. So the titles are there. The motivation is there for just about everything other than hooking up the TV. So maybe hearing this when I edit this episode will shame me into finally putting that TV in its place. Well, there you go. Moving down again to our good man, Jason in Denver. He says, um, 
Has anyone really believed the Charles Band film was lost in quotes by the Italian lab? Does lost in quotes really mean unpaid bill in quotes in Italian? Yeah, I'm not going to slag on Charles Band. Enough people already slag on Charles Band. And he was nice enough to take the time to talk to us. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's one of those kind of, you know, embarrassing situations or not, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for now anyway, Mm -hmm. until some meddling kid comes in and blows the lid off of any kind of, you know, story that there might happen to be. But for now, whatever. Charles Band was great enough to come on, talk to us about some of his films. I love the Transfers episode. He was a real mensch for doing that for us. So, yeah, I'm not going to really give that one the time of day. All right. Well, thanks for the fantastic show. Take care. Jason in Denver. P.S. Attached a pic of my small alien shrine. Pictures, the backbone of all podcasts. We should put that up. We should put that up on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, either on Facebook or over at projection-boot.com. Regardless, we will have that picture available for folks. There you go. Thank you, sir. Yeah, we always appreciate people taking the time. I mean, that must have taken them a little bit to put together that email. So that was fantastic. And this one is, like I said, one of the longer emails that we got over this. And this one wasn't necessarily for this show, but I uh, asked if we could read this just because it's a really nice, uh, nice email here from Donald Milne. My name is Donald Milne, and I am listening to your podcast about Star Wars. A friend burned it onto a CD, and I'm listening to it during my hellish hour-and-a-half commute to North Hollywood to work in TV land. I have to say, your podcast really hits close to home, and I can't describe in a simple email how much I relate to what you are saying, and it is refreshing to hear blunt opinions about George Lucas, seeing how I blame my life on that miserable bastard and his new hope. I was born in 68. And Star Wars hit me like a ton of bricks in late 77. I loathed Star Trek before that and didn't even like science fiction. And then this mystical other world got into my head and I was never the same. I began to daydream during fourth grade and would not pay attention in school and just drew stormtroopers all day and waited until someone would drive me 30 minutes to the Cine Caprian Phoenix, Arizona to watch Star Wars again. I saw it in the theater 18 times, and oh, it gets much worse. Not able to shake my desire to make films, by the time I was a freshman in high school, I met a guy who who had made a Star Wars sequel on 8mm film. Not Super 8, mind you. Well, I found my kindred spirit, and we set off to make the greatest Super 8 feature. We embarked on our film and built 30 sets, shot principal photography for a year, and built models for another year. We eventually shot four hours of footage, holy shit, on three little three-minute film reels, and I edited it for the rest of my high school years. You see, it was basically like Star Wars with 1,000 shots and over 300 special effect shots. It was impossible to finish, so I had been working on it my whole life and only recently finished all the sound effects. Man, I gotta see this thing. Yeah, (laughs) this sounds like that Raiders film that those kids made. The reason why I'm telling you all this is, well... 
just listening to that podcast really brought back the whole Star Wars obsession for me. And you talking about on TV cracked me up since I would go nuts when the on TV monthly guide would arrive as a kid and look for all the R-rated films and see what salacious goodies I could discover and what bizarre dark 70s movies there were. It was hard to describe to people the on-TV movie selections. Well, I'm halfway through the very entertaining podcast, number 219, and I honestly feel it is more <laughs> entertaining than the, pod, than the Star Wars prequels. And listening to the set decorator talk about make, making the sets is fascinating to me, especially that realism which I always loved about Star Wars. I realize now that there is so much behind-the-scenes footage on the internet on Star Wars, and I'm enjoying every bit of it in preparation for the much-awaited The Force Awakens. Like my friend who gave me your podcast said, it is the movie we should have gotten in the 80s. Yeah, it is sad that we had to wait so long. My wife will never understand what we have gone through and what George did to our childhood. So in closing, I thought I would mention how while I was listening to you talk, I felt this guy, yourself, is from my generation, and I wonder if people will get what he is saying as strongly as I do. You almost have to have lived that life of a Star Wars kid to really appreciate what you say on this podcast to the extent that I do. And when I heard that sound bite from John Dice at the end, it was like a grand slam to me, being that I am the editor of that movie. And whatever happened to my friend, the kid who I made the feature with in high school? Well, he was the other editor on Bubba Hotep, along with myself. Thought I would share my thoughts with you, Donald Milne. You know, that is so nice. That just, like, I want to cry, man. You know, because that's what I'm talking about. When we talk about film geeks, we talk about people that are into this stuff. And hearing people go, man, that really touched me. I can't believe you know, what you guys did over there and you know, how cool, like, like when I heard that this guy made this insane super eight feature, I was just like, wow, this guy's, this is incredible. You know, because we often talk about fan films on the show, you know, like, like the kids who uh, completely reshot, what was it? Raiders, right? Yeah. And it's nice to hear that, you know, the, the crazy people who spend their entire youth doing things like that actually go on to make amazing stuff like John dies in the end and, you know, work on Bubba Hotep and all of that stuff. That's, that's incredible, man. And, and thank you so much for reaching out to us and hopefully we'll get a round of those films and then we can have them on. Yeah, I've been really wanting to do a John Dies at the End podcast for a while. And even before I got this email from Donald, I had reached out to Don Coscarelli, and I know he's really busy with the next Phantasm film. I haven't gotten a response yet. I'm still kind of hoping for it, but you know that would be really nice. And I'm trying to find a way to contact David Wong, so maybe we can get him on the show. But yeah, that was so nice. And it's so nice to hear that these guys who were such huge film fans in high school ended up in the business. That is great. You know, which is to me is just beautiful because... I have friends of mine, and I'm not going to name names, who are out in L.A. and they're trying to be actors. And I have one friend of mine specifically that the, the guy, when I quizzed him about 15 years ago about film, really didn't know a lot about film. And it was kind of sad for me. And I've talked to other producers. And sometimes, I mean, even even when we're trying to like line up people for this show and we're talking to their agents and their reps and we're like, oh, he was in this movie. And it's like, he was? It's like... It, it's amazing how much the people who sometimes work in this business don't even know their own business. 
And and I understand that sometimes you don't need to know everything in order to, to do what you do, but it's just beautiful when you hear people who have that kind of passion, who have that kind of love of it, and they're out they're out doing the work every day. And, you know, hats off to Mr. Milne. You know, we got the question earlier about do we get much hate mail, but kind of going the opposite end of it. I mean, there's the fan letters like that. I would consider that a genuine fan letter, and that does everything that a fan letter should do. And that is just, yeah, totally. It, it doesn't make my day. It doesn't make my week. It makes my month and beyond. And it is just such a great thing. And it's great when we get praise that we're not even asking for like it's really surprising to me i will admit this i google us all the time because every once in a while i will see like a weird shift in our numbers and it's like okay i don't know exactly know where this is coming from so i you know have a little google alert kind of thing you know set up for a projection booth podcast and Within like two days, a couple months ago, we got really nice write-ups by uh, WoW247, which is a British site. I think it's wow247.co.uk, and also Mental Floss. Uh, I think, like I said, within two days, we got these nice write-ups, and they were kind of these the, the lists of you know podcasts that you should be listening to, and that was fantastic. And, you know, just surprise here you go all this traffic started coming to the website from these things and that was wonderful and then i man we've gotten a couple really nice write-ups in the av club the uh pod thing that they do every monday over on the av club and that is terrific because we really don't fit in with that site that much they really focus much more on comedy podcasts but every once in a while something that we're doing kind of breaks through and they will give us, you know, some props about a particular episode. So that was fantastic. And that's one of those sites where apparently you have to nominate people or like kind of bring things to their attentions, to the writers attentions. So, you know, if folks want to give us a shout out that way, get the flood of traffic in from Podmass, that would be fantastic. You can just go over there and there's a email address. I think it's just podmass at avclub.com and people can just drop them a note, say, hey, check this episode out or whatever. So that's, as far as I know, what has been going on. Every once in a while we'll do like the Star Wars episode or the Alien 3 episode, some of the more deluxe kind of things. And people go out there and sing our praises and it's fantastic. So thank you, everybody, who is doing that kind of stuff for us. It really helps out. And, you know, we joke around at the end of every episode about, you know, giving us ratings on, on iTunes and that's going to help us take over the world. It kind of is helping us. It, it really is. Between the iTunes ratings, between, you know, these top ten lists and, you know, different articles and stuff – it's really helping us out. So it, the the more we get this kind of clout and everything, the more cool little quotes I can put at the end of the e- email signature. So when I'm sending out an interview request, the more people are actually going to kind of take us seriously, which is really fantastic because then we can start to get some of the you know the bigger names and stuff. But I'm still amazed that here we are, two guys in Detroit. And we're managing to talk to what I consider to be some really amazing people. I mean, mm-hmm. whether it be 
fucking, you know, Bruce Stern, Nick Rogue, whoever, all the way down to, you know, the second AD, everybody has been so nice. And all of these people have just been so generous with their time and so insightful. And I love hearing all of these different stories, you know, no matter what it is. And especially a lot of the authors who are bringing different perspectives to us. And I think it's the AV Club that gave me one of my favorite quotes when it comes to a review of the show where they said it's a pharmaceutical-grade film geekery. So I, I kind of love the idea that we're, you know, the extra strength stuff over there. And the the other thing that also blows my mind, and I think it may have been Mental Floss or maybe it was Filmmaker Magazine because we had that right up, I don't know, about six, eight months ago, maybe even a year ago, is that when they put us on the list with other film shows – and this is just me because you know you as a listener it doesn't it it probably doesn't factor in for you in this way that we'll be on the list of 10 or 20 or whatever and we're one of just maybe a handful that are truly independent shows all the rest are divisions of you know empire magazine or you know some radio station or public radio station or television program or some newspaper or whatever like they already have media professionals in that way. And it's not to say I'm not a media professional because I am. I've been, you know, that's the one thing that I think I bring. And the other thing that Mike brings in terms of his writing is that we both have this media background. Although basically I've made my living off it for the last 14 years is that we're not hooked into a already just, you know, we're not hooked into an outlet already. And when I look at those lists, that always makes me smile because it says to me that folks, who have the passion, who can do the work and are working in their homes, out of their basements, wherever they're doing their show, can create something that's as good, if not even better, than what the guys who actually have a budget behind them are doing. I completely agree. It is so weird to see us listed amongst these people where they do have a backing. And here we are, the little engine that could. We wouldn't be the engine that could if it wasn't for the people who were kind of backing us. So I want to say, you know, we don't get very much hate mail, like we said. We get the occasional praise. Like, I mean, the Donald Milne letter is one of a kind. But we get critiques every once in a while. And people are trying to help us out, make us better. You know, which is nice. So people take the time to, you know, look at the show and give us some critiques, and that's absolutely fine. Um, so I did get re- one recently. This was through a Facebook message. And I have to say, Facebook messages on our Facebook group or our Facebook page, I guess it is, because we have a group, we have a page, and it's bizarre that there are two different things when they really should be one, but whatever. We use one more for conversation, we use the other one for more announcements, so that's how we divvy them up right now. Anyway, I got this message through the Facebook uh, Messenger, and... Yeah, they really they need to work the bugs out of this thing because half the time I get these messages and it doesn't even show the name for some reason. So I have to refresh the page a few times and finally it'll show the name. So anyway, Jay Liam uh, messaged us recently and he was asking, he was talking about um, our upcoming Deadly Prey episode, which we'll talk about a little bit more as we go on. And he was suggesting some um, that we, you know, Ask some different folks. You know, we had the one interview set up for that, and he was saying, you know, I, I really want you to 
reach out to these other people. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to try, you know, and that's one of the things that we talked about on the last ego fest is that whenever you guys see a show that comes out and you see like they talk to, you know, the, the star of it, but they didn't talk to the director. They didn't talk to the writer. They didn't talk to this guy, that guy, the other guy, trust me, we asked, we definitely have done as much as we possibly can to get as many people involved in a production to talk to us. You know, that is one of the things that we really strive for, you know, so like Rob, you mentioned ghost dog. Mm-hmm. Have we reached out to Jarmush? Mm-hmm. Have we reached out to Forrest Whitaker? I mean, yep. we've reached out to everybody involved in that production all the way down the line. Yeah. The only people we haven't reached out to are the people who are dead. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's where we draw the line. Yeah. I mean, I send emails and follow up emails and tweeted at people. And yeah. So when, when we do a show, it's not, um, it's not for lack of trying. It's not for um, laziness. There are just some people who, you know, like like I talked about earlier, you know, we, we're done with it. We move on. We go on to the next thing. There's some people that don't want to talk about the past. Right. And there are some people who are fine talking about the past. It just depends. It really depends on that. And it also depends in a lot of ways because you're dealing with gatekeepers. You're not dealing with the person directly. What the gatekeeper feels like. I mean, I was explaining this to someone earlier in reference to um, uh, my book because it took me four years to do the book. And there were some interviews that I didn't get in there until towards the end. And one thing that I've learned both from the show and the book is that basically agents – and managers are very conservative. And the reason they're conservative is because it really does nothing to benefit them by not being conservative. And what I mean by that is, is that if they say yes to us and they don't know us from anybody else, and they're not going to spend the time to sit down and listen to the show, they're just going to go by the emails they get and whatever things that we send them that and their client comes on the show and their client has a horrible time on the show, then they're not going to be happy. Their client will not be happy. And therefore it could mean their job because in the world of agents and managers, you basically have a contract with that person and you work with them. And if they don't like you when the contract's up, then they go to someone else. And so their job is to make their client happy. That's their goal which is a very conservative stance. I can't tell you how many times either people have been on this show or you have heard in other interviews or read in other interviews where people said, yeah, I heard that um, I, that script was offered to me. That film was offered to me, and I would have loved to have done that film, but I never saw it. My agent never gave it to me. Well, why did the agent not give it to him? Because the agent thought, nah, there's no point in this for them. And we've had it where people have come on the show and go, man, Like, I didn't know you guys did that film before with, you know, that I was in. Yeah. Oh, I wish I would have known. I would have loved to have come on to talk to you about that. Well, we did. We tried to get you before, but you had this other agent and the other agent turned us down. You know, now you have a new agent and everything's okay. Like, you're willing to talk to us. So, so there's a certain level of conservative kind of gatekeeping that you have to deal with when you're dealing with agents and managers. And there have been some agents that have just been phenomenal 
who know their clients. They know that their clients are hip to do certain things at certain times. With the example um, that you told me, Mike, and we, we already talked about a little bit with someone like Bruce Dern, who was like, their agent knew that that was one of his favorite films he was in. So because we wanted to do Smile and he said, sure, then that's how we got him. So sometimes it's a matter of what film you want to ask about, too. Like if you ask about a film that someone's got really bad memories of, it was very like traumatic and they don't want to come on and say something bad about people who are still living. Cause we've had that too, where people come on and go, I, you know, I, I really don't want to talk about that thing, you know, or I don't want to talk about that person. You know, some people, it, it just depends. It really just depends. But like I said, there are a lot of gatekeepers that you have to go through and it really doesn't behoove them to uh, stick their necks out. Well, here's one. So we did solar babies few months ago and when that episode was uh we were getting ready to do it i tried to contact i mean how many people are in that movie you know dozens right yeah. especially like you know your leads um, I mean, yeah all the leads a, probably about 10 of them exactly jamie gertz and peter deluise and jason patrick and so and i've talked to jason patrick's person but have never gotten the okay you know we really wanted him for after dark my sweet and it was like no sorry can't do it it's like okay well if we can't get him for after dark my sweet how about for solar babies you know obviously no response on that one so when we put out episodes sometimes we'll say we really wanted to talk to this person about this episode but we were unable to do it and we will kind of show our cards at that particular point you know and solar babies comes out and I do that, and I say, wow, we really wanted to have Sarah Douglas on this show, but unfortunately, she wasn't able to do it. Sarah Douglas tweets back at me and says, who told you that I wasn't interested in talking about solar babies? <laughs> and I was just like, um, you know, this person who we contacted, you know, this way and stuff. She said, I love solar babies. I would have loved to have talked to you about solar babies. And I'm like having this Twitter conversation with Sarah Douglas, you know, Ursa from Superman and Superman 2, one of my favorite characters, one of my favorite people. And I'm like, well, hey, we're covering the final program in a few weeks. Would you like to come on and talk about that? And she said, well, you know, I was barely in that movie. It was my first movie, but I would still love to talk to you. And that's how we ended up getting an interview with Sarah Douglas. So things work out in the weirdest way sometimes. We tried the official channel, didn't try the unofficial channel with the Twitter, and that was the way that it worked out that time. But I thought I had tweeted at her. I swear that I thought that I had, because I know I tweeted at Peter DeLuise and at um, Jamie Gertz and just all of these different people, you know, James Legro. Nothing. So, yeah, we definitely are trying. So I, I do want to read this uh, message from Jay Liam here. So this is a slightly taken out of context, but it just kind of gives you the gist here. And this is just a little critique of the show, I suppose. If I was running your podcast, I'd be resilient in trying to acquire as many guests as possible, even if you only include several snippet interviews from each one. It's always a bummer to see three to four interviews for a movie that I have a mild interest in versus one interview for a movie that I really like. And I know you could reply with something like, 
quote, well, start your own podcast, unquote. But if you guys really endeavored for consistency, you would try to obtain more interviews for each show versus filling them with your riffing, or at least have a good balance between both. I know I'm probably striving for perfection in what I'm saying, but I hope you know they ultimately... When I hear you announce a show, I want to hear more interviews when it finally comes out to get a better grasp on the production. Monday morning quarterbacking is actually what you need when you try to when you try and put forth your theories and conjecture on why certain parts of the films happened for certain reasons. Instead of getting that information from people who are actually there, who can discuss them properly. This is especially pertinent when it, when the films are circa 1970 to 1990. This is the perfect amount of time for the cast slash crew members to openly spill the beans on what really happened on set because enough time has passed since these productions take place that they don't have to hold back for fear of having to deal with industry repercussions because so much time has passed. Mm, yes and no. Um, I also think that, like I said, there's there's some stuff that we've heard from time to time that uh, was rather traumatic. So, for example, we had Mike Marvin on the show, and he first talked to us about Hamburger, and then he did The Wraith. And in The Wraith, there were people that were killed. And you can understand in the case of that where he might not want to even talk about that or the way he said it. I, I was actually kind of amazed the way he said it because he called out the producers by name and said, it's their fault. They're, they, that is the reason why this person died. And even though it's 30 years, that's heavy stuff. Oh yeah. You know, and for him to, to say that the other thing is, is like I said, we're dealing with these gatekeepers and like I said, we do everything that we can to try and get as many people as we can, because that's what we want for ourselves and for you as well. Um, a lot of agents and a lot of reps don't want to have their clients talk about a film from 40 to 30 to 20 years ago. They want you to talk to them about what they're doing now. And I think that there's sort of two reasons for this. One is, is the sort of perpetual youth aspect of what you're fighting against in Hollywood. And I have a friend of mine who's an actor who says, look, you know, I'm, I'm getting older and it's getting harder to get parts, you know, and I've got to keep going to the gym and I got to you know, keep my hair a certain way and all these things. And I think the other thing is, is that they don't make any money off the old stuff as much, you know, as opposed to I've got this new film coming out. Won't you talk to me about that instead? So a lot of times when we get people on the show, it's because they have something to discuss. For example, I think if we would have tried to have done Sorcerer before when we did Sorcerer, we probably wouldn't have gotten Friedkin because no. Friedkin was pushing his book and his reps were very much like, you want to talk to Mr. Friedkin? We'll talk to you about it. He's got this book. And that worked out well because it helped to push his book. And he wanted to talk about Sorcerer, which luckily was the film that he was actually restoring and they were doing this big thing around. So all of that kind of worked out. I think if we would have pulled up Sorcerer a year before, we they would have been like, sorry, Mr. Friedkin's busy doing something, which would have been him writing the book. So, you know, a lot of it is timing. It really is timing. And um, in being able to work with an agent or a person to go, I'll give you the time to talk about your new stuff if you're willing to talk about something you did 25 years ago. Well, and I think that's a challenge that we have with every episode is getting the people who are directly involved or getting somebody who is an expert on the subject or a mix of both. Or sometimes even getting somebody who is kind of tangentially related, like our interview for The Holy Mountain 
was with someone who is an expert in tarot. And tarot plays such a big part of the Holy Mountain that it really fit together well. And there are other interviews that we have where it just makes sense. Like the, the God, all the adult babies that we spoke to on the, the baby, baby, baby episode where it was the baby, bad boy, Bubby, and uh, what was the one with Mickey Rooney? The Milky Life. So it fit there, I thought, anyway, and I thought that it made a really compelling show. Did we talk to Mickey Rooney? No, he's dead. Did we talk to William Hookins? No, he's dead. Did we talk to the director of it? No. So it's tough sometimes to get these folks, so we're always looking for that angle, that edge, trying to get the interview with the person that makes the most sense or and or getting a co-host where there is a natural affinity or sometimes just people want to talk about stuff. It was great having, you know, all the times we've had Keith Gordon or Craig Birko or Vincenzo Natale on the show to talk about stuff because they just like these movies. Hey, great. And whether it's, you know, Mike Malloy, Heather Drain, El Goro, whoever it is talking about stuff, it is always such a pleasure to have that other point of view because i'm sure if it was just the mike and rob show every week we might get a little old yeah i think if you had to listen to both of us all the time and and that's the thing is i love having our um our guest co-hosts because they add so much more to it and at the end of the day um i don't need to hear my own voice (laughs) i really like i'm not in love with my voice um, I am more interested in having good conversation with other people and hearing what they have to say. And this even goes back to my radio work where it's like, if I can pull my voice out of the piece that I produce and have them tell the story. Great. Oh yeah. You know, something like a rock and roll high school where it was just a montage for almost the whole thing of other people talking. Right. So much of this job experience thing, hobby, whatever you want to call it, podcast has just been this whole thing of making connections with people. And I don't mean connections like, hey, Bubby, let's do lunch. I mean actual human connections. And I think that has been the most gratifying thing. Like, we have people who, like, I, you know, I'm friends with them on Facebook now who I never would have met had it not been for the podcast. And there are an amazing group of folks that are coming from wide varieties of background. The only thing that we have in common is a love of movies, but it is so gratifying, you know, and just making those human connections, be it with our guests or with our guest co-hosts, with the people that help put us in touch with people, you know, it's just been a terrific experience. So, the reason why I included the the Jay Liam thing was just because of that whole idea of, you know, hey, you guys should really try harder to get more people on the show. I swear to God, Jay, we really try every week, week in, week out. That's one of the reasons why we plan stuff out so far ahead is because we've got scheduling conflicts. We've got you know people that just aren't interested now, but maybe they'll be interested later. And then it's the whole thing of trying to track some of these people down. You know, Usually we don't announce an episode unless we can get a interview. And we always have the kernel there of who can we get. Or... In some cases, 
we can't, we don't have anybody, but we think that we can get at least one person. And that's our goal is to get at least one person. But really, the ultimate goal is to get as many of those voices as we can. So we really do try. So please cut us some slack and know that we are trying our best. And if that doesn't work for you, take your own advice. Start your own damn podcast. No, <laughs> no, no, no. You know, it's it, it it's one of those things where also I have to say that it, it may even get harder with time if the reviews and the attention and the numbers and all of those things don't continue to go up because – you know, it's it's basically become this easy. It's become this easy that, you know, two guys with a Skype connection and a way to record, you've got a show. And as the number of shows continue to, you know, just continue to build because it is so cheap to do and so easy to do, you have to realize that there isn't just the projection booth, that there's 50, 60 other film shows that are as good, if not better, at what you do. And they're also contacting those people. You know? Exactly. And they only have so many hours in the day. And when we ask someone for 20 minutes, half hour, an hour, they're not getting paid to do that. So if, um, if them and their agent are you know, very much about trying to maximize every living second that they have, um, you know, unless they're going to have a good time with us, but they don't know they're going to have a good time with us until <laughs> they say yes. Um, there might not be a reason for them to say yes. So it, it gets harder. It, it does. It's going to get harder as uh, more and more people get into our racket. All right. Let's read another email here. It's from JP Ward. It says, I worked at Hollywood Video when The Sixth Sense was released on VHS. The price of renting a new release after tax was $4 and six cents. Why this useless bit of trivia is lodged in my memory? Well, because nearly every customer who who paid cash would sort through their change for six pennies and hand them over with a jokey proclamation like, here's the six cents. Aha, six cents, six cents. Um, so I heard this countless times. Uh, repetition forced itself uh, unwantedly into my memory. Uh, my question to you both is, what is the most random, trivial, useless, film-related memories that you have of your days working in a video store or in a cinema? I mean, I, I know how to build and tear down a print. Uh, I know how to fix a brain wrap. If you ever worked on a whole projector, you know what that is. I, I've got great stories of dealing with the public in a theater, uh, either under high pressure, such as when we had the Blair Witch exclusive and it went to all three screens and then added extra shows in the morning and at midnight, Monday through Friday. Um, I, I, I have uh, you know, uh, memories of a bomb threat that someone called into the theater because we were doing a... Um, fundraising event for the local uh, gay rights group. I, I, have, I have a memory of a guy who, although I didn't work with him or, or wait on him, the, the guys who I did the film with when I did Tainted, they worked at a Suncoast video at the Macomb Mall, which, uh, oh, God. which yeah, that's, that's long gone on a business. But um, they worked at a Suncoast video, and this guy would come in, and he would just buy movies that featured... Um, people getting tied up now not necessarily bondage but the guy just had this affinity for movies featuring people tied up 
and it was um, he would just buy these movies over and over again, such as uh, he probably bought within a year or two. He probably bought like ten copies of Reservoir Dogs. Uh, we have no idea specifically what this was about, um, but it, we, we got a slight idea. So, I mean, there's there's some weirdness, you know, when you when you work with the public and we're in retail. Yeah, I'm not going to try to beg off of this one, but I will definitely say that um, go back and listen to – we did two specials on VHS, and I think we both talked about our days in a video store quite a bit during that particular time. So there's some weird stuff in there as far as like remembering videotapes when they would come out in a, uh, a, a different type of box or a different presentation. You know, I still think about last the Mohicans coming out widescreen and customers flipping out when that would uh, happen. I still always think about uh, renting movies on a Sunday and then telling people you have that until Tuesday, and then I would start singing voices carry every time I did that. I thought it was hilarious, but uh, not too many other customers did. <laughs> they didn't get the reference. They didn't get the reference. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of useless stuff. And um, I think some of the things that have come out on the show, too, are talking about end credits music and just how important some of that was and i will say that there are songs that i still can't get unstuck from my head such as the martians are taking over the world song from the spaced invaders um (laughs) final credits there there were two songs that really hit me both in opposite directions one of which we did on uh, the limey episode because when i worked at the main uh, the limey played there, and I just remember going in right before the end to open the doors, and that scene where there's the piece from Poor Cow where you know the Wilson character is playing guitar and singing Colors by Donovan, and just the sense of loss, just the crushing sense of loss uh, with that, which still kind of chokes me up a little bit when I watch the limey even at home, and I just remember hearing that. And seeing that piece just like over and over and over again for weeks when I was doing the theater, working the theater. And then the other was, um, I think that, and, and people are going to be like, man, you're like really out of it. I can't believe that you didn't know about these guys before then, was uh, when we had High Fidelity. And in the credits to High Fidelity is Love's uh, Little little Red Book. And um, just hearing that over and over again as I clean the theater. And I just remember just like this soaking into me. And it's like whenever I hear that song now, all I see are credits rolling. That's <laughs> It's just stuck in my head in that way. I can totally see that. If you've got a good song while you're cleaning a theater, it definitely helps out. It's the best, yeah. There was a horrible song at the end of a Dan Aykroyd movie. And I can't remember if it was Couch Trip or loose cannons, but I'm going to have to dig it up and see if I can throw it into this episode because it was just so obnoxious, but we used to sing it all the time. All right, let's go ahead. We had two voicemails come in. One of them we're going to play at the very end of the show because it's quick, it's full of praise, and there's not a question attached to it. So we're not just going to sit there and say, oh, we are wonderful. Thank you. We, we, we want to end on an up, up note. <laughs> exactly. Like George Costanza. <laughs> That's right. 
So this one is a voicemail from Maurice. Some people call him the Space Cowboy, and we're going to play that right now. Hello, Mike and Rob. This is Maurice sending a message from across the waters for Ego Fest Part 3 of the Projection Booth. Thanks very much for this opportunity to send some feedback in. Now, I've got to confess, I don't really have a question as such as to how you do the magic in the projection booth. Just sufficient for me to say that I enjoy listening to the program and the work that you guys put in. So um, I hope that that's as stroking the ego uh, sufficiently. The only thing I'd possibly do is maybe something of a request, and that would be if you maybe wanted to do, say, like a month investigation into some great Australian films. I'd certainly be happy to come up with some suggestions if they're ones that you uh, wanted to familiarise yourself with and just see your thoughts on those. Australian cinema in recent years, unfortunately, is not appreciated as much at home as it should be, I think. Uh, there have been some great genre films which I know have made an impression on uh, some folks in America, so I'm not quite sure why they don't do the same as well at home. But uh, nevertheless, I think there's been some great films over the last few years. But if uh, you chose to do a month of films or, or even you know just a one-off, whatever, uh, there's some great stuff from Australia's Purple Patch of the 70s or really anything uh, over recent years. A lot of really good stuff to to choose from besides the obvious big ones that might have made it sort of you know, across the pond in your neck of the woods some uh, more obscure titles but uh, anyway uh, that's enough of me rambling just sufficient for me to say once again that i'm really digging the show and um, i hope that you guys carry on for a long time all the best cheers so I think we have some good news for Maurice, is that we are going to be covering a few Australian films over the next few months. We have actually done some Australian films already, but we've got a couple really good ones coming up here. Actually, at the end of September, we're going to be doing Ralph the Hare's Ten Canoes. And we talked about Ralph the Hare when we did the Baby, Baby, Baby episode. He was the director of Bad Boy Bubby. And we talked to cinematographer Ian Jones about that particular film and a few other films. And Ian Jones talked to us about a lot of stuff. And so I ended up cutting part of that interview and saving it for a 10 Canoes episode. And in the meantime, because we do leave such lead times between episodes, we managed to get Ralph the Hare. So I'm really excited to be able to play an interview with Ralph DeHare, director of Ten Canoes, director of Bad Boy Bubby, director of so many awesome things. This guy is one of my favorite directors just because you never know what you're going to get from him. He directs so many different things. And, I mean, Ten Canoes is not like anything that you've seen in a long time, if ever. So I'm really excited for that. And our special guest co-host on that one is Miguel Rodriguez. And we had a great time last time Miguel was on the show. So I'm really excited for that. That's actually going to be his break, Rob. He's doing a film festival coming up over the next few weeks here. And it's going to be his break afterwards to sit and talk to us about Ten Canoes. Oh, you poor, poor man. I'm sorry that you're taking your vacation to uh, sit with us. But hey, you know, glad to have you. You know, uh, Australian film is cool. Uh, we've done some uh, New Zealand film, obviously, with uh, The Quiet Earth. And, uh, and, and we had a discussion around that, sort of looking at uh, New Zealand film versus uh, Aussie film. And what does that all mean? And, 
you know, what what sort of commonalities and the things are they working out and not working out and things like that. And you know, I'm I'm gonna plead ignorance here. I I know that we do have uh, some great friends. One of which who I talked about earlier with Wang Wang, um, Andrew Lee Vold, who the, the guy knows you know more about Filipino film than I think anybody on the planet who isn't Filipino and grew up in the Filipino industry. Uh, but he would also, I think, maybe be a great resource for us when it comes to uh, pulling up Australian film. You know, the part of it for us has always been, and th- th- this was something I used to get on you and, and the old regime about uh, in the first year before I was on the show because I was listening to the show, and uh, sometimes I get really uh, kind of uptight about the fact that you're reviewing films that I can't see. And I remember sending you guys a message or remarking somewhere going, yeah, I'm I'm really excited that you saw that movie, but uh, I can't see it. And uh, I'm really excited that you had a great conversation about it, but I feel kind of left out. And there's part of me that really wants to try to bring across a show that is available. And plus, this goes into the planning, you know, out six months or however long we do it that you can have a chance to see these things if you follow us, you know, if you have the app or you follow all the events that we have on Facebook. It really give you a nice a sense of what we're doing and when we're doing it so that way you can study up so that when you see the film and then you listen to the show, it's a nice little companion. Because, I mean, I know for me, I get something out of shows or for films that I I haven't seen, but I think you get more out of it when you've seen it. And and that's really been one of my guiding principles on being on the show is to try and make sure that we're doing shows where the film is at least somewhat readily available. And I know there's been a couple that are um, you you can't really find or they're or they're really hard to find. Another movie that was hard to find for a lot of years that was considered a somewhat lost film, a film modi as it were, was one called Wake and Fright, which is also known as Outback. And that was directed by our friend Ted Kotcheff, who we talked to on our first Blood episode. This was one of Ted's earlier films. He directed this thing in 1970, I believe, came out in 71, and that is another Australian film though it's directed by a Canadian and stars two British people, but it is considered a hallmark of Australian cinema. And we're going to be talking about that one in May. Um, That is May 18th currently, subject to change. But we're going to be talking to Ted Kotcheff about that, to his editor, Anthony Buckley, who has subsequently become a producer and is kind of one of the most uh, lauded producers in Australian cinema. Uh, also to Tina Kaufman, who is one of the authors of a series of books about Outback Cinema, and she wrote the book, literally wrote the book on Wake and Fright. That's who we've got so far. And since this show isn't until May of 2016, we've got some time to track down some other folks. So we are going to be beating the bushes, as it were, to try to find other people to talk to about that film. But I think that the people that we have so far, pretty darn good. The interview with Kachif was spectacular, and I'm really excited to share that. I know that he's got certain stories that he tells, and you'll hear that sometimes with some of our interviews where there are, you know, like the rote stories, because once you get to a certain point in your life, you're not 
digging deep. You're just telling the same stories. But I think that I managed to surprise him with a couple questions. So you might hear some stuff about Wake and Fright that you haven't heard before. So, Rob, are there – go ahead. Ted Kotcheff is great. I mean, uh, First Blood, it was just a, a you know, great honor to have him on. And a uh, Toronto guy, so originally, and you know, told some great stories about coming down to Detroit for uh, baseball and burlesque. So, uh, <laughs> so, so I think we actually sent him, because there was a guy who was doing posters in town here in Detroit, who was uh, taking these old burlesque ads out of the newspaper and turning them into posters. And I think we sent one to him as a thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I should have asked him if he got that, because I didn't didn't remember to do that. Well, the one question I didn't ask, my God. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the episodes you're excited about coming up here? Well, I mean, for me, I already kind of talked about a couple of them. The fact that we have the sort of uh, foreign noir that's coming up. That's going to be fun with uh, a look at uh, Ghost Dog and Alphaville and Elevator of the Gallows and things like that. So all of that's coming up. I, I think the one that's going to be a lot of fun for me because it's such a such a huge kind of like part of my vocabulary at times is uh, the last show of this year, which is Apocalypse Now. I don't know what else we can say about Apocalypse Now that hasn't already been said. And I sort of felt that way when we did Blade Runner years ago um, because I felt like, oh, it's Blade Runner. I mean, like. You know what more can we say? But uh, I'm sure we'll find something. And then uh, the other one I'm excited about is um, Pump Up the Volume in uh, February of next year because the call that I had with Alan Moyle was amazing. Just a really fucking nice guy. I may take him up on his offer to call him back and talk to him even more. <laughs> and um, he gave me uh, some numbers and email addresses for his producer on that and said, you know, call this guy, tell him you talk to me. And, you know, I hope you can get him because he can give you more stuff. So, so it's things like that. You know, sometimes if you hit someone on the right day and you have a great conversation, no, they give you phone numbers and emails for other people. And that leads to you know, even, even greater stuff. I am so excited coming up here. We're going to be talking about the final program in just a couple of weeks here. Um, our friend Eric Cohen from the cinephiles is coming back to join us. And I mentioned the Sarah Douglas interview, but for me, I am so excited to be able to play the interview that we did with Michael Moorcock, who is one of my favorite authors growing up. Like when I was in high school, Reading all the Elric and Coram books and all this, Behold the Man, as much as I could possibly get my hands on of this particular author, and to be able to sit down and have a conversation with this guy, I was like a freaking schoolgirl. I was so giddy. I couldn't believe that I was able to finally talk to this guy. So I am so thankful for having this show as an outlet where I can have an excuse to talk to somebody whose books I've read since I was just a you know a teeny bopper. So that I'm really excited about. I, I'm also excited about the Apocalypse Now episode, though I am nervous because this is one of the few episodes where we put that on the calendar. And right now, as of this recording, we have no one scheduled to be a special guest, though I'm trying like hell to get some folks on here. I'm, I've been bouncing emails back and forth with some folks over at Coppola Films, over at Zen American Zoetrope. So far... 
not getting the right response, but still trying. At least I'm getting the yes, it's okay to ask again in a few months kind of response, as opposed to the, you know, oh, they're really busy right now, and then write back and say, can I write back in a few months? Is that going to be all right? Yeah, no, we're not interested at all, period. End of story. <laughs> so, yeah. which happens sometimes, but with Coppola, no, his person was like, no, go ahead. You can email back in a few months and we'll see if Francis is available. So that would be great. That would be a dream interview for me. That would be great because, um, you know, and, and sometimes I pull up this card and, and there is a certain amount of pride and it's coming up uh, actually this week's show. If you're listening to this, Blue Collar, Paul Schrader, another mm. Michigan guy. I like to pull up the Michigan card sometimes, you know, and, uh, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, born in Detroit. Hung out here for a little while with his dad when he was in the DSO before he took off. Um, let's see. We've got some other great folks coming up here. We've got um, The Entity. We're going to be joined again by Daniel Kremer, who was on our um, hit episode. And he is writing a biography of Sidney J. Fury. And Mr. Fury has agreed to come back on the show and talk to us about The Entity. We're trying for a few other folks from The Entity. So far, no bites. And really, this is um, uh, something that I never thought I would really have to deal with for some reason when it came to the show is loss. You know, we will do like if there are people who are important to us or important to the community, those kind of things, we definitely on our Facebook group will do a shout out, you know, RIP, whoever. But the one that really hit me the hardest recently was the loss of Alex Rocco. And we talked to Alex, uh, or sorry, we talked to Rocco on our Detroit 9000 episode. Such a great guy. I could not believe how awesome he was. Just one of the sweetest guys ever. And I mean, like, uh, I I just remember as a kid, him on TV in various roles and TV shows. And then as I got into the films, and I mean, most people remember him, you know, as Mo Green on um, The Godfather. And I was listening to WTF. I was catching up on some of the Marin podcasts. And when um, when when Rocco died, he did a thing because he said that, uh, Mark Marin said that in this past season that he, he had him on the show as his mm. agent. And he believes that that may actually be the last thing he did um, in film and TV. And, and he was talking about how he was just a great guy with him, too. And, I mean, it's just a real sweetheart of a guy. And um, it's sad, you know. It's, it, it's sad when people pass. And uh, we've had a couple recently who have been on the show. And it's, um, you know, we're, we're grateful to have them in our, in our archive, in our library. And uh, we, we honor them for taking the time and we thank them for, for their great work. Yeah, and with Rocco, we were talking with his agent it looked like it might happen to have him back on the show. And I was so excited to be able to talk to him again. And then it just, you know, the news came out that he had passed and it's like, okay, so, you know, did the right thing. Emailed his his agent who was super sweet with us every time that I talked to her. So just, you know, I couldn't express my condolences enough as far as losing him. And I know that he was a real friend to her. So, 
yeah, it was that was tough. That was really tough. And like I said, that's something that I never really expected when it came to this show. But then it's just it's this weird feeling, man. When you interview somebody and you make that like I'm not saying that I'm buddy-buddy with everybody that we interview. There are some people where I do feel comfortable enough to, you know, kind of, you know, consider them to be friends or at least acquaintances, those kind of things. But you always have that little spark, that little moment where you are connecting with somebody. Like I was saying before, the connections with people. And you connect with them very briefly and you, you know, you're taking some time from them. They're giving their time to you. It's this nice connection. And then when they shuffle off this mortal coil, it really just hits you in a weird way. I'm sure that you've had that because you've been in this business a lot longer than I have, where you've experienced that loss of knowing that you've talked with someone and then knowing that they're not there anymore. Yeah, I've had that in several ways. I've had it both in terms of people I've interviewed. I've had it in terms of people I've worked with. And um, even with the book, you know, I've got the book coming out and there is um, there's two people in the book who out of those four years are, are both gone now. And there is one guy who I didn't get a chance to interview, but his photos are in the book. So there's three people connected to the book. And it's it's sad because... They took their time with you and, and all of that. But the one thing that I feel honored by is that they took the time to talk to me and to share those stories. And in the case of the people that I talked to, maybe they didn't share those stories before, you know, right? because maybe nobody asked them to share them in that way. And since I have them and they are on tape and they are part of my archive I, they eventually, at some point, will probably end up in a larger archive of material uh, related to this project that I did. So I'm I'm hoping that in some way, their legacy, their ideas, the things that matter to them, can kind of carry on in some way. And 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 like I said, to me, it's a, it's a very sacred thing because when someone takes the time to listen to your show, when someone takes the time to interview with you, um, they're giving up the one commodity they can't get more of. You know, like we can go get more money, you know, we can, you know, that's fine. Like if, if, if that's your goal to make money, we can, we can get you money. But, you know, the one thing you're never going to get more of is time. And that to me is a very sacred thing. And, and I feel honored by everyone who's taken the time with us to either listen or to interview. It's, it's a very special thing. The one that really hit me in a weird way was just a few weeks ago here where I was, almost interviewing David Pryor. We have an episode set up for early next year. I think it's February. And I'm still not sure if we're going to do this episode or not because I was just so floored by what happened. I emailed uh, David. We're supposed to have an interview on a Thursday emailed with him and he said oh you know stuff came up can we do this again next week can we try again sure no problem what works for you monday 8 30 a.m sure no problem i'll come into work early you know record this interview start my work day no big deal so sunday rolls around and i'm like okay i'm not going to have this happen again where i forget to email him a day early i'm going to email him on sunday 
Never got a response, but that's okay. You know, just confirming the time and everything and asking him for his phone number because that was the one thing I didn't have because it's like, okay, I'm going to call you tomorrow, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. What's the best number to reach you at? And he didn't email me back. So that Monday rolls around, 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm just about to leave for work. I email him again, and I'm like, hey, I'm leaving for work right now. What number should I call you at at 8.30? Never heard from him. So I'm like, okay, nine o'clock rolls around, send him another email. And I go, hey, sorry, it didn't work out. Let's try this again. It was a crazy week at, at work. And I was like, I'm not really available until Friday at 830. Why don't we try then? And I think within two hours, the news broke on Facebook that he had passed away. So sometime between Thursday and Monday, he was gone. And that just floored me. I don't know why I took it so hard, but it was just so weird to, you know, be basically emailing a dead person, which was just really strange for me. Yeah. And I mean, I had a, a situation in my own personal life recently with my mother and her, her, her longtime boyfriend. And, uh, I told you this after you told me the story where she got up in the morning he was laying in bed. Everything was cool. She went in the kitchen, came back to the bedroom about 20 minutes later, and he died. You know, just that bam. You know, he wasn't feeling too well a few days before, but, you know, you know, just thought it was a cold or something. Right. And, you know, it's like one minute you're there, the next minute you're not there. And, you know, I, I don't want to get too philosophical on this stuff, you know, but, um, you know, when, when I was a kid, I had a decent amount of loss around me i had you know a good friend of mine died when he was 16 uh, i took care of my grandmother when i was 19 until she passed away about six months later so i i really came at an early age to really um you know kind of be grateful for those around me and understand that this is not going to last forever and to um you know say what you got to say and, and and be there and to try to make the place a little better and you know you know, hopefully when it's when when it's all over and the lights go out that, you know, people are like, hey, you know, decent guy. You know, we had a lot of good times. It was cool, you know, and, um, you know, that's what I hope for myself. So it's uh, it's tough, man. I know we talked a little bit about it on our Alien 3 episode. You know, I was glad that so glad that I talked to John Fasano about Alien 3 and so we had that banked for that episode. Other folks that have passed that were aware of, you know, we might not even be aware of everybody, but uh Gary Bradner um Talked with him for the Howling episode. I definitely recommend people check that out. And then a special episode that we did, which was, um, you know, sometimes our specials don't kind of get lost in the shuffle. So if you haven't heard the interview with Vincent Bugliosi, definitely check that out. He was part of a um, really interesting documentary about uh, George Bush. yeah, George W. Bush, I should say, and some of the criminal activities that took place, you know, putting us into a uh, unjustified war and stuff. So great, great interview with him. And um, 
that was another one where I really felt like we made kind of a little connection there. You know, was able to joke around with Vincent Bugliosi, which was a nice feeling. You know, you expect him to be super serious or whatever, and to be able to make him crack up, I was really happy about. Yeah, especially the guy who you know put Manson on trial and wrote Helter Skelter. I really don't think that he, he would be around to you know have a few laughs. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's uh, it was good. So I just really want to hit um, before we go. You know, we are over on Facebook. We're pretty much over there every day. If you go to facebook.com slash the projection booth, uh, there's a uh, an area right there called events. And you can click on that and see all of the episodes we have coming up over the next few months. At the moment, I think we are scheduled out until June of 2016. And you will see some of the good stuff that we have coming up for you. And I'm really excited about some of these episodes. I mean, just um, the contact episode, talking to William Fitchner and James Hart, the screenwriter, um, talking to Jennifer Lynch for the Boxing Helena episode, Michael Murphy for the Phase, uh, for the, um, phase 4 episode, Eric Bradner for colossus the forbin project we've got some amazing people coming up for our last dragon episode talk to mike Starr about that to the producer to the um to the writer to um gosh another couple actors in that one and we've got hopefully some more on the way really trying right now to get a few more people for our showgirls episode and hoping maybe we can kind of play that michigan card that you're talking about not sure if that's going to happen but you never know and again the michigan connection with hudson hawk trying that one too so far no bites whatsoever but we can hope and then got an amazing interview with garrett graham for our demon seed episode that i can't wait to share so that's going to be good too and you already mentioned pump up the volume that will be epic the um interview with the director of the changeling we should have a great great discussion about night of the comet um should have Catherine mary stewart back and have kelly maroney on that one and we're trying for some other folks as well we're scheduled to talk to some pretty good people for the secretary those haven't happened yet so i don't want to drop any names on that one talking to freaking nick rogue about bad timing essential obsession talked to him i talked to his editor and i talked to the actual writer of that one yell Udoff, who has done some terrific work so yeah some great great stuff coming up i really can't emphasize enough how excited i am by some of these things so hopefully that is able to translate to the listeners as well when we have some of these shows that you know, they might not reach epic lengths. They might not all be a seven-hour Conan kind of thing or a four-hour Star Wars kind of thing. But I think that even in an hour show or an hour and a half, you're going to reach, hopefully, our excitement for some of these subjects is going to come through to you. We had the question earlier about theme months. And one of the things that I've been thinking about, and this is completely off the cuff, so just what, you know, Whatever your reaction is to this one, Rob, you know, our friends over at Outside the Cinema were taking requests 
but they were taking them um, along with uh, payments. Basically, it, it was it was pay for play. Really, it was it was a payola scandal, as it were. Uh, but you know, you give us money. And you tell us what film to cover, and then if you want to come on, you can come on, that kind of stuff. So what would you think if we did something similar, but at least just took some suggestions and maybe did a suggestion month? Well, I definitely like the suggestion ideas. The, um, you know, and then I, I think along with the suggestion would be if uh, maybe we can get, um, you know, voicemails. You know, why that suggestion? And then we can put that in the show or, you know, find a way to kind of work that in. The, you know, kind of talking about the PayPal thing, um, the, the one thing that, you know, you were talking about earlier, oh, I, I feel weird asking for money, is um, that there are other shows and, and I have a lot of friends and a lot of respect for all the various ways that people do their shows. Uh, we have never done a crowdfunding campaign. Um, we've never done a sustaining gift program or anything like that. We, um, so, so when we ask you to, to PayPal every now and then it's, it's just out of the kindness of your heart. And, um, so, and, and, and I've been a subscriber to other people's shows where I've given them a couple of bucks a month and things like that. But, you know, we've, we've always been really quiet on that because we would rather have it be a, uh, the, the, something that you want to do because you want to do it as opposed to feeling like, well, if I don't do it, then it's going to go away. And uh, I, I never wanted to play in that realm. I mean, I worked in seven years in public radio and that was the one thing that we tried not to do was tell people, Hey, we're going to, we're going to go away if you don't give us the money or, you know, Garrison Keeler's going to retire if you don't give him the money. Well, he's actually retiring, but anyway, you know what I mean? Just, uh, that, that, that's never been in our cards here at the projection booth. We are shutting the doors unless we get $50 by next Thursday. No blackmail. So it's, it's all about just, uh, you know, free love, you know, donation, you know, we'll pass the plate if you want to, or we'll, we'll pass the film can. And uh, if you want to put a couple bucks in the film can, thank you very much. So yeah, we do take suggestions. And the one thing I have been asking people to do is don't, Email me your suggestions. Don't post them on the Facebook group. Don't send me a message via Facebook. It's just going to get lost. So what what we did, created a little spot over at projection-booth.com. Along that tab of links across the top, you know, we've got links for our past shows where you can go in and see everything that we've done, which is usually pretty up to date. You know, count on maybe the last six weeks or so not being there, but it's pretty good. You're going to see the first four years guaranteed of stuff up there. So you got that and you can enjoy those for hours and hours. You got the about us, the reviews, uh, a section called books, which we'll talk about more again in a, in a minute here. Contact us store. You can go into our little store. We've got the whole Amazon thing set up. So, you, can, you know, if you buy craft from Amazon, we get a kickback. I don't know if I've ever seen a dime from that, but you know, it's a nice idea anyway. And then the last tab right now is suggestions. So you can go in there Give us your name, give us your email address so we can contact you if we take your suggestion and, you know, let you know. And give us a reason 
why you want us to cover that and give us the IMDb link because there are too many movies that have the same title like or just that I don't necessarily recognize like somebody the other day was like hey you guys should do real men and I'm like real men the Hal Hartley film and it's like no you idiot that's simple men real <laughs> men is this one with James Belushi and and John Ritter and I'm like oh okay <laughs> if I had the link it would have made it a little bit easier so but yeah go in there Put your stuff in there. And, you know, I think next year, at some point, we'll do a month that's full of suggestions. We've done suggested shows on the on the show before. Sometimes they work out well. Sometimes they don't necessarily work out well. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah and sometimes we can't remember who the hell suggested it. I remember. Exactly. This is a suggested show. I'm, I'm sorry, whoever suggested this, because we can't remember who suggested this. Exactly. In our in our myriad of spreadsheets that we keep, one of the things that isn't there is, and where did this idea come from? So when it comes to some of these, it's like, yeah. But we're getting some good suggestions out there. Just real quick, I opened it up, and I'm seeing stuff like uh, Never Ending Story. Simpson, this is the most blatant case of fraudulent advertising since my suit against the film The Never Ending Story. Man, you think uh, you think that Conan show was long? Whoa! <laughs> it's a never-ending story. It just goes on forever. Dick Tracy, which has actually been on our list of things that we want to do for a long time. Brazil is on there, and I know you like Brazil. Yeah. But again, that's another one of those "what can you say that hasn't been said" kind of thing. That is a challenge episode. That's like I said. That's like Blade Runner. That's like uh, Apocalypse Now. You only want to do one of those like every year or two years. You don't want to load up on those. The Parallax View, which is uh, one of my favorite movies, which is terrific. The Long Goodbye, which has actually been suggested a few times. There you go. Pump Up the Volume is one of those on there. And I think your boy Ken Bates uh, is going to be our last voicemail here when we sign out. So, Yeah. Oh, and hey, I didn't even realize this. 30th anniversary of The Last Dragon. There you go. Uh, Fulfilled. The last. If if I believe it correctly, I think that's the last Motown film, isn't it, too? I think it is. But, yeah, yeah, we've got a huge show lined up for The Last Dragon. First show of the year, 2016. You're going to be hearing from Timac, from Mike Starr. Just, oh, it's going to be amazing. You know, Barry Gordy's still around. If I could get Barry Gordy on the phone, or I'll even go down to the Motown Museum and try to talk to that guy. <laughs> I'm going to wait here and go get Mr. Gordy and bring him down here. If I could get Vanity, now that would be something. Yeah, she gave her life to Christ. Well, you know, we're just asking for an hour to talk on the phone. I mean, come on. We we actually pay attention to some of this stuff, so... Go on over to projection-boot.com, check out that last tab, leave us your suggestions, your name, your email address, the title, the link to the IMDb, and why we should cover it. And if it's not out on the IMDb, it's probably too rare for us to cover. So I'm just putting that out there as well. you got to at least have something where we can actually you know, let people see it. There are only so many Dead Ringer and... Day the Clown Cried episodes that we can do. Rob, not only can people hear you here on the projection booth every week, week in, week out. Oh, you poor people. But people who are gluttons for punishment can hear your voice a little bit more 
Yeah, and this one's a little bit more local. The Detroit Free Press, which is one of the two major dailies here in Detroit, upon my return came to me and said, hey, um, you know a lot of people, and you know this whole podcast and radio deal. Uh, how would you feel about doing a uh, arts, entertainment, culture podcast every week? And I said, uh, how much does the job pay? And they said, more than working at the projection booth. So I said, sure, sign me up. So for the past, uh, at this point, when you listen to this, it will be uh, six weeks. You can get it on iTunes. It's called Detours. And uh, no offense to Mike, I did not rip off his, the title of his book, Cinema Detours, for this. I just thought Detours sounds like a pretty good name considering we're a car town. And uh, there's plenty of construction around here lately, too. So... Um, it's a, a show I do every week. I interview usually four different, three or four different people, uh, tell their different stories related to usually things that are on the calendar for that week, give you some suggestions for the weekend, and uh, also share a little bit of uh, Detroit art and culture history because uh, there is a lot of that that we can share as well. So it's called Detours from the Detroit Free Press. You can get it at freep.com or on iTunes. Just type in Detours. Do you have an app? No. Sadly, not yet. We have an app. Oh yeah, um, yeah. you know those those are pretty tasty, you know, because you can get them. They, they usually come before the meal, and uh, usually consist of some sort of uh, salty or fried little thing there. You know, I, I I like the fried mushrooms personally, but oh no, wrong app. Sorry. We have an app available for your iPhone. I know you're kind of a an Apple guy. I'm more of an Android guy, uh, and there's an app available for that. There wasn't for a little bit. Apparently, the app went down. Google started charging different rates and all this kind of crap, so our app developer wasn't able to support it. But gave him a couple more bucks. See how important that donation to the projection booth is? Gave him a couple more bucks, and he was able to put it back up in the Google Play Store. So now you can download that app for your iPhone, your Android. I think there's even a Kindle Fire version of it. So if you've got a Kindle Fire and you want to listen to the projection booth, you want to have all the power of the projection booth at your hands, you can see... The blog posts that we're doing, our Facebook posts, our Twitter posts, our events, and by events we mean our upcoming episodes. So you can go in there right now. I just clicked on the app on events, and I see EgoFest listed here as coming out in a couple days. And I got Blue Collar and the final program. I got the whole thing. I can even see past events to see old shows. So you can keep up with us that way. You can listen to things through the podcast app. It is amazing. So, And it's free. That's the thing, too, is that we pay the app developer. He develops the app. He puts it out in the app store, does all this kind of stuff. And we don't pass on the expense to you. You can download it for free, recommend it to your friends. Are you going on a long road trip? Are you going up to Toronto in a couple days? Hey, bam, bam, bam. There's your app. You got it. You're good. Go. So do that, and then uh, once you get the app, um, I don't know, if you usually buy an app and it costs you a buck, hey, maybe throw us a buck, maybe throw us two bucks, whatever, it's all there, you know, so it's uh, it, it was just our way of making sure we could connect with you and get you everything that you need with this show, because uh, that's how we like it, so why not share the love that way? Give us $2.20 every month out of your paycheck. So Rob, hit him again with the book. Where can people get the book? Well, they can get the book uh, several different places. You can go to orbitbookdetroit.com. 
facebook.com. You can go to facebook.com forward slash Orbit Book Detroit, uh, Twitter, Orbit Book, uh, Wayne State University Press, and you should be able to find it there. And then also Amazon. And I'm sure that uh, if you go back through uh, the projection booth over the last several weeks, I've been posting about it, and uh, you can learn more there. So, and, and I hope that if you're in the Detroit area and you're a listener and you have an interest, that uh, maybe come out to one of the book events. So in September and then into October and um, heading out to L.A. hopefully in November, and I'll let you know exactly when that is as soon as I know. And uh, if you're out in L.A. and I make it out to L.A., coming out and visit, it'll be great. You know, Rob, L.A.'s fine. The sun shines most of the time. And the feeling is laid back. The rents are low and palm trees grow, but every once in a while you think about making your way back. I know you're not New York City, born and raised, but nowadays you're lost between two shores. L.A.'s fine, but it ain't home. New York's home, but it ain't yours no more. Yeah.
Hey, this is uh, Sean Ash in Phoenix, Arizona. I just wanted to let you guys know I love your show. I fucking love the format. I stumbled across it a few months ago and blew through all those back episodes. Uh, keep up the good work, guys, and I just wanted to give you praise. All right, take care. Love you guys. Bye.